What's up, everything? The pyramids are up. That's what. The 2020 St. Louis Blues Prospect Pyramid is up, even though it's almost 2021. It's time for our annual dive into the dark depths and the not-so-promising heights of the Blues Prospect Pool, from Nikita Alexandrov all the way to Vadim Jurenko. But before we get there, we had the division realignments that Gary Bettman hand-drew with crayon on the back of a Chili's menu to talk about. So let's get started, and let's order fajitas. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I don't even know. Once upon a time, this might have been a bonus episode, but we've abandoned that concept completely. Until we bring it back, (laughs) it's the St. Louis Blues Prospect Pyramid, everybody. You've waited so long, over a year, for our most famous and widely discussed episode, which has been talked about all the way from Afton, Illinois, to Alton, Illinois. (laughs) I was going to say, to Afton, Missouri. Uh, That's right. Why do these Um, states both have the same names for things? Yeah, I don't know, because they're boring. Unoriginal, yeah. Our Thanks, prospect Midwest. pyramid has been discussed all the way from St. Louis to East St. Louis, <laughs> and uh, it is back again. Uh, but before we get there, uh, well, first of all, Ian, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing great. I'm feeling festive. Mm-hmm. We're what is that? Fifteen days. Fifteen days, almost two weeks away from Christmas. I'm just I'm putting my head down. I'm you know getting through the grind. Just wanna just want that time off. To play Cyberpunk 2077. Just kidding, folks. Never. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I uh, I usually am, am put a put a big emphasis on getting gifts, and this year my brain is dry. Oh, woof. I haven't been what. out in the world to see anything that I could buy for people mm-hmm. for six eight months. So here we are. But uh, you know, the internet will provide, and I shall figure it out. The dude abides and all. Just go um, to Amazon. They always got stuff. Yeah, I mean, they already got stuff. <laughs> but I don't know what it. for who. And the list is so long this year. All these people uh, that need gifts, they don't deserve them. But they'll get them anyway. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's Christmas. It's all about getting It's all about giving. You gotta really uh, enjoy it. But fuck them. Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, we are, we're reunited in person. I am no longer a pariah. I was a pariah the right word that feels like i think it's piranha Piranha. (laughs) (laughs) he's got those sharp teeth and he's in the water Uh, um and uh yeah here we are and uh before we get to the prospect pyramid we do have uh something else there's probably a pyramid drawn in there somewhere by accident or a triangle to talk about and that would be the uh that would be the uh the uh the <laughs> NHL, His brain broke the uh NHL division, division we are five we're not five minutes in we are two minutes in 
Uh, that would be the NHL division realignments that Gary Bettman handdrew himself in macaroni and cheese colored crayon. Well, not macaroni and cheese colored exclusively because there are four divisions and therefore they have four colors. So mm-hmm. Macaroni and cheese was only the Pacific <laughs> division colors in which St. Louis is now in, unless they're not anymore. Let's go to our correspondent Ian Peters with the latest. Ian flip a coin <laughs> apparently uh the situation according to jeremy rutherford is fluid much like uh every situation when it comes to sports and the pandemic uh yeah it was reported yesterday on wednesday um that the divisions were decided for hockey so i guess to back it up a little bit there were some issues you all know there was there going to be a season was there not going to be a season who knows it's going to be a long drawn out argument between the NHLPA and the NHL and then they decided and it's fine (laughs) now it's fine apparently we will be having a season and it's supposedly starting mid-January with like um with uh training camps and stuff all starting beginning of January cool beans great stuff the NHL's ability to just say "Eh, you know what we were thinking about a lockout but we'll just do it (laughs) we'll just just make it work it's so (laughs) It's so annoying because of the fact that they have had shortened seasons Uh and they have had lockouts. So whenever this happens, I feel really annoyed that media will be like, guys, they're going to play. Come on. Don't worry about it. I'm like, no, I have to worry about it because sometimes they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, so. Yeah. They've now announced or tentatively announced what the divisions will be. For this shortened season, this supposedly 56-game season that's supposed to start mid-January, and it's four divisions, much like there were four divisions before. Oh, but these are not the divisions yes. you once knew. <laughs> these are not your father's divisions. <laughs> these are not even your divisions no. from last year. So, due to Canada having a closed <laughs> border, <laughs> the same old Canadian bullshit, um, <laughs> they... Uh, they will not be playing any U.S. teams. U.S. teams will not be playing any Canadian teams due to the fact that you have to quarantine for two weeks when you enter Canada, and, you know, that's going to put a whole kibosh on playing games yeah. quickly. So the Canadian division is all the Canadian teams, all seven of them, and then they split the U.S. into essentially a west, uh, central, east, and a super east. Um, I like how one of these teams, one of these divisions is entirely contained within, what, 300 square miles? And the others are several thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got it. What one is of them one? is all of Canada. I mean, all of east to west, the entire continent. Hmm. Which is fun, and I understand why they had to do it, but it is terrible. But I've I've jumped all over the lead, so please continue. It's uh, it's your it's your job here. You've got the lead. Oh no 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 no! I gotta try and remember what all these stupid divisions. Are. I know that our our friends. Uh, do, do we call them friends? I don't even know. I guess we will. <laughs> Deciding it on the fly. Oh, uh, we love them. Our friends at the uh, Let's Go Blues Radio, I always want to say the Let's Go Blues podcast, but that's not the name. Uh, Our friends over at LGB Radio created a very nice graphic, or at least it bears their logo, so I'm going to assume they created it. But who knows? They're shady people. These Twitter days that we live in. 
Yeah, they created a graphic with all the teams, and it uh, it looks uh, bloody ridiculous. Oh quite yes. frankly, it's uh, in the Super East. I believe it's Buffalo, Boston, uh, the New York Rangers. Is that division actually called? No, the I'm Super just call, I'm just calling it the Super <laughs> East because there are teams in the East that are in the Central. Yes, yes, yes. So the Northeastern uh, one is Buffalo, Boston, the New York Rangers, New York Islanders. The Devils, um, Philly, Pittsburgh, and Washington. I'm so sorry to Buffalo and New Jersey. Yeah, they did sorry. not deserve to sign Taylor Hall for this. I know. Oh my God. I. What can you do? But also, like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Giving them extra season. Good lord. So that one seems fine. That one seems like a thing everyone can agree on. They're all in the same time zone. So great. Uh, then they made a kind of weird lightning bolt through the middle of the country. <laughs> Where they said it was going to be Minnesota, Chicago, Nashville, Columbus, Detroit, Tampa, Florida, and Carolina. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, you got some. You got your Carolinas, your Floridas, your Tampas, your Detroits, your Columbuses. Those are all, I guess it's mostly Eastern teams. And then, you know, Chicago, Nashville, Minnesota, all Central. Not terrible. And then you got this pretty acceptable... Western division of LA, Anaheim, San Jose, Vegas, Arizona all makes sense. Dallas, they used to be in like the Pacific Division, Cool Beans, Colorado. All right, yeah. I mean, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere compared to all these other teams, but makes sense. And then apparently, St. Louis, as was reported yesterday. And it was also reported that the Blues asked for this. Yeah, they said, sure. Apparently, it was. Fox Sports Midwest wanted it. That's what was said. Then Alex Ferrario, who does some of the KMOX uh, stuff on the radio, was saying, I talked to the television people, and they didn't say that this was true. And then Greg Wyshynski reported that St. Louis asked for this, said, I'm sticking with my story. And then Jeremy Rutherford said after that that the situation was fluid and things could flip-flop. And then just like an hour ago, uh, what's his name, Russo? Michael Russo. Uh, reported on Twitter that apparently they've flipped Minnesota and St. Louis, and now Minnesota is in the Western uh, Division, and St. Louis is back in the Central. So maybe we end up in Canada by tomorrow. (laughs) Maybe we're in the Canadian Division, basically. I hope we stay in the Central, just because I'm really not a fan of, like, 10 o'clock starts or 9.30 starts. Like, I'll stay up, don't get me wrong, but, like, it makes me angrier. Mm-hmm. I don't know how... Okay, no, 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 no. How do you feel about this? When we play late games, is it better that when we're losing, you can just, like, go, okay, and roll over and fall asleep? <laughs> or is it worse because now you're just sitting there and you're ang- Like, the last thing you feel before going to bed is anger. <laughs> Yeah, probably that one. I say this because we had the Vancouver series, and there was obviously four times where I was like, motherfucker, and I closed my laptop <laughs> and rolled over, and I was both happy to go to sleep, but even when I woke up the next morning, I was pissed. My problem is I'm a night owl anyway. Generally. Oh, yeah, so, so this doesn't really affect you as much. Well, it doesn't, but like my problem is if we do lose like a shitter or win a tight one, <laughs> mm-hmm. then I'm too amped to go to bed oh, at all. Oh, yeah, then you're just kind of riding it. And then I'm like, well, I guess I'm staying up for another hour hour and losing even more sleep because i have to just calm down which is a healthy relationship with adult men playing a game i can i can attest but yeah i mean it'd be i'm not gonna lie it'd be nice to be in the most of the pacific division i uh yeah i think that's the easier one that i'm looking at but if we get flipped back to the central and 
have uh, basically all of the existing Central minus the two best teams uh, besides us, then I'm okay with that. Uh, obviously, you've got Tampa, which is a, a difficult one. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm not that upset either way, I guess. Mm. Somebody's going to get screwed. It seems to me like there is a five-division option here. Now I know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't know how you. I don't know how you do the playoffs at that point. I really, mm-hmm. I genuinely don't. But it seems like you could draw a circle around, you know, like the the Western Conference teams minus us, or the current Pacific Division teams minus us, um, with the Stars being kind of a swing vote, and then you either put us in like the Midwest Central with like Pittsburgh, Columbus, Detroit, uh, Chicago, Minnesota. Or you put us in, like, the southeast with, like, uh, Nashville, Carolina, Tampa, um, Florida, and, and the Stars. Mm. And then you do, like, the, you split the Eastern Conference and kind of the current, like, Super East and dribble a couple of, couple of them into those conferences I just named. One of them being Pittsburgh. You know, probably you can put the Capitals with the Hurricanes since they have that kind of rivalry going. Mm-hmm. And then that's that. But right now it's just like, how, wh- wh- why would you split up Chicago and St. Louis? What could possibly possess you to do that? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I don't. I don't know who Minnesota's rivals are. I think it's achievement <laughs> that they seem to be the most afraid of. But um, like, what? I just don't. How do you put? I know saying I know that Gary Bettman doesn't look at the St. Louis Blues as super important, mm-hmm. but they are consistently one of the best hockey markets per capita. When you see like mm-hmm. the not even Blues games, just like random NBC, like uh, the Winter Classic and stuff like that, random stuff on NBC, we're always one of the best markets in terms of people tuning into that. We are a sports town, and so it's weird to me that you would put us in a division with all of these teams that we don't care about. Really, mm-hmm. you know, we'll enjoy beating up on the Sharks and Kings, I guess, to settle decade-old grudges. But it just seems like, yeah, I mean, like, if one, if one of St. Louis or Minnesota is going to get screwed, sorry, but it feels like yeah. it should be Minnesota. I know, I was like, why are we catering to, like, that mediocre team? Yeah. I get that they also probably have very good viewership, and it's, you know, state of hockey and what have you, but it just seems like they can get lost out in the West. And maybe maybe that helps some of your some of your shitty teams out West. Your LA's, your San Jose's that you want to look good and be better to play a Minnesota that's like probably will give them a run for their money, but is beatable out there. And I'm not saying that St. Louis is gonna always beat LA or San Jose, but it's like it just seems like you got a better shot to have a more fun and competitive division if you throw Minnesota over there versus St. Louis. Um, I, yeah, I just want to see us play more. I, honestly, I want to see us play Detroit because I want to fucking cra- like trash can that team. Oh uh, god, because we haven't had we never they they bolted the minute they got bad was essentially like now they're bad and they're in the East. Yeah. Sorry guys, I'm like no, I want to rip this team to shreds now. I've always wanted a. I've always wanted Columbus and, and Detroit back in our division. Mm-hmm. Detroit more than anything. I also feel like if you just did like six NHL divisions, three on each side, that would be very doable. Mm-hmm. But they don't seem to want to do that, so I don't know. There are 32 teams now, so they've got to think about it. 
18 to you know full anyway I'm, the math the math is broken <laughs> well the thing is too like people are talking about like well how about you know what are you going to do top four in each division i was like well that's kind of what they're do already more or less yeah it's i like, assume it'll be top five though but that's the thing that's expanded so it's like yeah. who gives a shit if you if you're in a division no matter what if like if you're decent at all you should make the playoffs and if you don't i really don't want to hear this crap you know where someone barely missed and they're like oh but like come on ex- you gotta expand it more it's like no there's 20 teams now if yeah. you don't make it you suck does Seattle join this cluster fucking league next year? Isn't that crazy? Wow, that this felt like so long. Fifty six games and boom, here they are. Throw in one global pandemic and there you go. Don't forget about that Seattle team. That's right. Um, yeah, it's uh, whatever. I I don't care. I really don't. It doesn't bother me as much as it nah. seems to bother some people. Um, and, you know, if, if the network wants it, they probably are aware that as much as people whine and complain, they still stay up and watch yeah, exactly. late games, you know? So, like... I'll get drunk. I'll yeah. get drunk <laughs> early in the evening. That's right. Ride that puppy into the midnight. I'll watch us lose to the Coyotes, like, six times, sure. Oh, God. Uh, now you, it's only division games, right? Yeah. So you're the, playing each the of these teams, teams like, seven times. Or something, I'm, you know, math off the cuff, but like, it's a good number. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, six, you got seven opponents. Eight times. Eight times. All right. Uh, that, that's Damn. fun. I love I that. Like, I do like that. But how can this, How can you not do eight against Chicago and Nashville? <laughs> you have, I would love. Oh, boy. I love this. So you do that, and then you make it like, you got to make the playoffs kind of like, you know, within the division to start, like they were already doing. Mm-hmm. So then you're going to play those teams even more. Oh, man, what if we have some, like, sweet-ass rivalry against Columbus and they just get ripped from us again? That'd be so sad. Yeah. Yep. Fix it, Gary. <laughs> Undo what you've done. <laughs> we got to uh, get the glove back. we got to get that Infinity Stone. Yeah. we got to snap <laughs> this snap thing back it, together. Snap it. Um... But that's that. I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to go any deeper into this? What do you think? Gun to your head right now. Do we end up in the central or the west? I think we end up in the central. Yeah, I, I think that. Too. I think. I think they took to Twitter last night and they saw how pissed everyone was. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know why. I'd be interested to see why we were in the west to start, and then they were like, "Never mind." Um, maybe some people did complain, like within the Blues organization or something, but. Uh, yeah, I don't mind either way. I'm just happy to hear. We kind of like jumped over it a bit, but I'm just happy to hear that we'll have hockey again soon. It's kind oh, of yeah, in the yeah, doldrums yeah, yeah. of January where all of a sudden Christmas is over and you're kind of like, cool, it's cold and it sucks. Yeah. You're like, give me something. I'm like, oh, so good. Chef's kiss. Now, if we could, if we could sign Vince down and then make that weird late offseason move that it doesn't have to be Mike Hoffman, it could be trading for like, We'll have to talk about that like another episode too. Yeah. Like, there's so many people still out there. Yeah. It's gotta. It's gonna be a domino effect. One person's gonna sign Mike Hoffman and yep. the other three it's all that be are in out that there. Division too. Uh, one division, and uh, that is that. Hockey's coming back. That's exciting. Are you ready to do this prospect pyramid? Let's do it. You ready to do it upright? I feel like it needs its own intro. As I say this, I don't know what that intro is gonna be. But here's the prospect pyramid intro. <laughs> Poor man. Look past me. No, I don't want your suffering. I don't want your future. Look past my future. 
That was rousing. Fantastic. And we put it in, we cut it, we put it in. We know what it is now. We didn't just did wait you, for three did seconds. Did you know she didn't write that? That's, <laughs> that was written for Ooh, her. Oh my gosh. Ah, uh, you know the facts about this song that we definitely know. So, very impressive. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, moving forward, uh, the prospect pyramid as I crack into this white claw hard seltzer. Oh boy, I've never had one of those. You want one? We no, I want to take a sip though. I just want to sip. All right. Sorry. No, go for it. This is like, if this I had one, if I had one over here, I don't think I've had one. I don't think so. Ruby Grapefruit. Ruby Grapefruit, uh, mentioned by uh, a, a listener to this podcast who shall remain nameless, but you know who you are, Kevin, uh, <laughs> mentioned that that was the best one. And so well, I thanks, tried Kevin. it for the first time last year at Traverse City, and I liked it. Uh you can get can you get fucked up on these things? Probably, <laughs> I right? You drink enough of them. You have sixteen of those. It'll be your last. I, not that I was like a heavy drinker or anything in college, but I probably drank more than I do now. <laughs> and uh, I have like this urge over like Christmas break just to have just one day, just one evening, where I just get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't know why. I don't know why, but I'm just like, come on, I just want. No, you know, nothing nothing too crazy, because fucked up for me is like, he is drunk, that's it. When, but I'm like, ah, oh, I just need it. When I was in Chattanooga, I can't remember if I mentioned this, we found a, we went to one place to go for breakfast and it was closed, so we went to another place we found along, uh, you know, kind of downtown, and they were having a special where you could order a couple of, like, special things, and the money would go to Dolly Parton's charity. Now, side note, Dolly Parton is... A national treasure yeah, and we like should die saint. to defend her honor she is one of the truly best human is she beings. like the queen of, of america human beings. Yeah, it's yeah, like, i feel like we have like a queen she is truly extraordinary so uh on this thing was a uh, dumb blonde mimosa it was like five bucks mm. now i've never had a mimosa because i like you just mentioned have lived a very boring life <laughs> but i was like and also, I've never really drunk in the morning ever at all. So mm. this was a doubly new experience for me. But I was like, you know what? It benefits charity. I'm on vacation. Let's try it. Let's do something new. Let's stretch our boundaries. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was like tangerine juice. It wasn't oh, yeah, orange yeah. juice, but it was oh so good. Mango. I don't know what it was. Nectarines. One of them orange fruits that isn't an orange. <laughs> and I had two. And then I went to an aquarium. Not, you know, not, not drunk, but you know, just a little, just happier than just I might have otherwise been in an aquarium. It was fantastic. Oh. So once again, Dolly Parton comes through in the crutch. And uh, like I, like you mentioned, our entrance th- song, uh, she didn't write that. It was written for but it's one of the very few that uh, was written for her. I don't even know if there are any songs written for her because she's like a very prolific songwriter. So we've really uh, set these requirements <laughs> really up for so It's not going to be anything that matters. Just these requirements. It's a remix. It's a remix, though. Who knows? That's right. Uh, Let's talk about this prospect pyramid from nine to five. Uh, Oh God! uh, Prospect pyramid. Going over the notes that we've had on each podcast, each of these three podcasts. Um, 
was first created by legendary, can we say legendary YouTube slash podcast hockey personality Steve Dangle in 2016. A big influence of ours, a big part of the reason this podcast here even exists, mm-hmm. I think we can say. Big ups. Uh, and I'd like to say that we've uh, attained the same level of success. Was, we've definitely surpassed. Fame. We've definitely surpassed uh, that poor, poor man. <laughs> Steve Dangle uh, created the prospect pyramid as a different approach to ranking prospects. Rather than having impossible to resolve arguments about whether Scott Perunovich is better than Quim Costin, that one's not impossible to resolve, but we'll get there. This was from last year. Uh, or Austin Pagansky is more likely to succeed than Dakota Joshua. Woof. Uh, <laughs> we simply sort the prospects into tiers. So what are those tiers, Ian? Well, tier one is the elite player. Ian, tell me about an elite player in the prospect pyramid and how many the blues have. Uh, the, the blues have no elite <laughs> prospects uh, arguably you could say certainly the blues have no elite players in fact at this point in time these are franchise altering superstar centerpiece type players so your only elite prospects right now like in in the league are like alexi lafreniere you could argue like quentin byfield or stutzla um, but Lafreniere is the only sure thing. So these are guys that I are like... I should have ordered some Stutzla with that mimosa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great breakfast. He's, he's like my favorite of those three drafted just for his name alone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, German guy, for sure. Oh, yeah, that too. Like, it's German rising, slowly oh, but surely. I don't know. I don't know if we like that. I thought um, 2022 Olympics, they're going to have Dreisaitl, Stutzla, uh, Moritz Sater. Bach? Is Bach? Uh, uh, Dominic, yeah, Dominic Bach. Bach. Kirby Bach. Kirby Bach. <laughs> Kirby Bach. <laughs> They've got some other people. They're pretty good. They're probably going to get smashed, but less smashed than they might have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the t- I mean, the elite prospects are only ever going to come out of your first five picks of that year. You could look back and argue that like Nikita Kucherov, I think, was mm-hmm. like a second or third round pick and is now, you could say, an elite player. But at the time, you would have been out of your mind to put him in the first tier. The whole point of the elite tier as we talk about every year and talk about sometimes between prospect pyramids <laughs> is that the word elite truly should mean elite and should only apply to 10, mm-hmm. maybe 20 players in the league. And when you talk about this, then you're talking about the p- prospects that have the potential to enter that tier, you know? And so there are some years, the Nolan Patrick, Nico Heischer year, realistically probably didn't have any elite prospects, mm-hmm. you know? Which is a, a website we leaned on heavily. <laughs> but, yeah, check it out. <laughs> uh, brought to you by elite prospects, not by through their knowledge or payment, but, you know, brought to you by them anyway. Uh, tier two of the prospect pyramid are your stars, your top line players, your top two defenders, uh, your lion's share eating goalies. Uh, these are the guys, you know, that you see in TV commercials. Your Ryan O'Reilly's, your Vladimir Tarasenko's when he's fully healthy. Uh, Colton Pareko, maybe. Even even he's maybe tipping down towards a tier three, but I know a lot of Blues fans would spit in our face for even the <laughs> suggestion. So, uh, you know, these are the guys that you build your team around. And if you have elite players, they're the guys your elite players won't let you trade. And they're usually, you know, typically first round picks, second round picks, that kind of guy. Uh, Tier three are your studs. Uh, Those would be, you know, your top six, your top four, uh, your starter or, you know, 1A or or really good 1B goalies, maybe. Uh, Probably 1A. Um, These are are the guys that you need to have a bunch of to contend, uh, but you don't look at them as the same way as your top 
you know, very, very top tier two players. Uh, they don't receive as much national attention and they're probably guys that you could like envision trading, but you're also not like motivated to trade. So they're kind of your Jaden Schwartz's, Braden Shins, Tory Krug probably falls more into that category now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian, tell us about Tier 4 a little bit. And tier 4 is your solid players, your top 9, your third line, starting 6, back up in a tandem, maybe more of a 1B as well. Uh, the guys who play in significant support roles, uh, sure you can replace them, but why would you want to? These are your Sunquist, your Barbashevs, your Scandellas. You know, they're people you're going to need to fill out your bottom 6. You need to have them, but they're also players that other teams have as well. So you, you can see some shuffling as you do from time to time where it's like no one's really ahead of anyone else within this tier, and if they were, they'd probably catapult them into more of a third-tier role. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Tier 5, are you're starting to look at your kind of borderline taxi squad guys. This year we'll actually have a taxi squad. Um, Probably, have they officially announced that? I guess they have. No, but they've talked about it so much. Pretty pretty guaranteed. Uh, you're, you're looking at your bottom six, your you know sixth, seventh defenseman, your career backup goalies. Uh, these are guys that you aren't your favorite players. You know they're no they're nobody's favorite players. Probably their mom, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's a salary cap league, and you've got to fit a team together and have people that don't embarrass you on the ice. Uh, so you're looking at you know Robert Bortuzzo, Mackenzie McEachern, uh, guys like that who you know just pad out the roster you gotta have 23 guys and listen both of those guys helped win the stanley cup so so counts um mm. and then tier six are the guys that you know if you if you're just casting lots right now you probably don't think that they're gonna make the nhl or at least make any kind of meaningful impact kind of your jordan nolan nathan walker types um you know probably career ahl guys maybe get a game here or there uh, but, um, you know, not guys that are going to be full-time every, every, uh, year NHL players. And l- both of those guys have been in the NHL points. Nathan Walker last year looked great for a couple of games. So, you know, it, they have stretches. They're still professional players. It's no disrespect to them, but you just don't see them being everyday p- contributors. And Ian, we've gotten this room facsimiles of our last two uh, prospect pyramids, which are, are fun to look at for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, wow, we are, it is bleak compared to 2018 when we started mm-hmm. this. we st- I think that was the year that we were like second or third in Promen's prospect rankings. Yeah, we were and We were hot. I think we were probably too generous at the time in some ways when I'm looking at like who all was in tier three. Um, but at the same time, man, you've got Cairo and Thomas are both uh, haven't played a game in the NHL yet. Uh, Clem Costin is, is just drafted first round at that point. Um, just recently drafted, I guess the year before that. Uh, Eric Foley is new to the organization and exciting. Uh, still healthy at the time, sadly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that was right after he got injured. But you had I think no, it was like yeah, no right idea after. the scope of his injury. Uh, Dominic Bach had just been drafted. Torpchenko, we were still sky high on. Billy Huso, still very high on. I don't know what we were thinking putting Jordan Schmaltz in Tier 3 even then. But, you know, uh, you've got guys like Sammy Blay, Adam Musil, uh, Zach Sanford, Nolan Steven, Nico Mikola, Jake Wallman, Scott Perunovich had just been drafted. We had no idea where to rank him. We slotted him into the fourth tier. Um, 
Mitch Reinke, Evan Fitzpatrick, we were high on at the time. Uh, and then you've got a lot of guys in your bottom bottom two tiers, uh, including guys like Austin Paganski and, um, you know, a guy we probably have just forgotten about completely named Jordan Bennington, you know, that we <laughs> made joke, fun of. A, a joke, joke of a player. Barely in tier five. He barely made it into tier five. <laughs> Uh, you go skip ahead a year, uh, and you've watched Jordan Bennington graduate to be a Stanley Cup winning goalie. Uh, Sammy Boy and Zach Sanford and Robert Thomas all went to the NHL. Jordan Schmaltz uh, went to Toronto. Pateri Lindbaum, and I don't even know Sergeyev's first name, went to Russia. Uh, Dwyer Shantz and Connor Buikwi went to the ECHL. Luko Pilka retired. And then you've got, you know, Kairou in your top and your second tier, still no first tier. Uh, Dominic Bach, Torpchenko, Perunovic, Reinke have moved into your third tier. Foley, you know, you're still holding on hope for. Uh, Costin Mikola Tucker has moved up. Huso, Hofer, uh, Alexandrov had just been drafted. Joshua was new to the organization. Washkarak, etc. Um, did I say etc.? Also, I don't think we put Washkarak in the pyramids. <laughs> After you specifically asked me to, let's go back and ask him. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 evolved over the years. We've gotten probably more selective about where we put people. Um, but uh, it's still fun, and it's fun to watch it develop over the years. So we'll put all these pictures on the, on the Twitter so you all can see it. Yeah, they look very good. How do you want to do this? You want to go from uh, two down, two on down? Yeah, I think I'll start with the excitement and yeah. bury the bodies Well, the I mean, bottom. first of all, who are we to assume that the Blues don't have a Tier 1 prospect? They do not. <laughs> but who are we to assume they don't? No, I mean... I think as as Dangle made the point for tier one to matter, it's got to actually matter, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got to be elite, and you've got to reserve it. And so uh, for the Blues, it's just realistic to say we don't have any tier one prospects. Gonna be real honest with you, when we skip ahead here in a second, kind of debated whether we should have any tier two prospects. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's this is a team that won the Stanley Cup two years ago. A uh, year and a half ago. I don't even know how long it's been. Uh, yeah, a year and a <laughs> half ago. And uh, to do that, they've drained a lot of their system, and now they're trying to rehab it. So uh, not a surprise they don't have a Tier 1 guy at all, especially when they haven't for the last two years, and they're still doing just fine. So it was a bit of a debate as to whether we should put uh, a player in Tier 2, even even still, even in spite of you know having a... A really good prospect, but we have decided that uh, a soft tier two uh, belongs to Scott Perunovich, and it's not soft because we don't think very highly of him. Um, it's just soft because you don't necessarily see the path to him being kind of your your top pairing everyday defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when we talked about this originally, if you look at the reproduction of. Uh, the 2018, we talked about it being a talent versus readiness spectrum. So it's not only, you know, if you're a tier two and you've got gads of talent, but you were probably three or four years away, um, you know, that could potentially bump you into a tier three. That's why Quim Costin was a tier three even then, because everybody thought he was several years away. Uh, you know, and we'll talk about him more in detail today. Uh, but Scott Perunovich, it's the same sort of thing. Is He's got plenty of talent. I'm just not sure where he fits in this year and 
whether he um, really kind of has that, whether he will fit on the top line of a Blues-style NHL defense Mm -hmm. um, or whether he's going to be your kind of second-line power play guy, which is fantastic. That's a Kevin Shattenkirk type, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wouldn't look at Kevin Shattenkirk probably as a Tier 2 prospect if you're if you're being really rigorous about it. So it's kind of up in the air. I don't know. How do you feel about Scott Perunovich before we sort of dive into the numbers and talk about the fact that he's a very great, very accomplished, uh, you know, uh, Hobie Baker trophy winning defenseman? Yeah, I mean, I think he's obviously very good or is going to be very good for this team. But I do think he kind of rides right on the line of like two to three in terms of the tiers where he's just, he's, he's going to be a good player. I just see him more as like a top four rather than a top two. Um, and if we're going to go by that, then it feels more like he's in kind of a tier three, but still still very good, still someone you need. Kind of like we said, a tier three is if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at, I guess, forwards that we're thinking of, but like a Schwartz, a Shen, you know, somebody like that that's needed and you want to have on your team and you want to develop. And it sounds like he's a, a great leader and a great player overall, but just doesn't quite have the skill set or even honestly the stature the physical stature mm-hmm. possibly to be a top two defenseman on this you know on this roster but it's one of those things where he seems very talented so maybe he makes that work you do have your uh your uh, jared spurgeons of the world and things mm-hmm. like that so it can happen it's just that i don't see it happening but you can prove me wrong yeah i hope he does too obviously we're rooting for all of these people um but uh, yeah, it's uh, that's just kind of our base evaluation of him. With all of that said, Scott Perumanovich uh, had a phenomenally accomplished collegiate career. The Blues were extremely high on him at the draft, so high on him that even though he was a mid-second round pick, they had uh, a jersey with his name stitched on it, ready for him uh, when they called his name at 45. Where was it? Somewhere on there. 45, yep. yep. Um, so, you know... It's obviously a player that the Blues have loved, that the organization is high on, whether that's Bill Armstrong who was high on him or Doug Armstrong or some other scout that really loved him, whatever the case. Um, you know, he, he won the Hobie Baker Award uh, last year with 40 points in 34 games uh, at the University of Minnesota Duluth, a, a team that was poised to potentially three-peat uh, as NCAA champions. So he's obviously very accomplished. Uh, this is from um, Corey Promen's write-up. Is that what we're reading mm-hmm. here? Uh, Perunovich won the Hobie Baker Award as the best player in college hockey last year. He was a leading player on a top team, a role he's played his previous two seasons in college. Perunovich stands out whenever he has the puck on his stick. His offensive instincts are elite. There's that word again. <laughs> he's able to make exit passes with the best of them and has great creativity and vision from the blue line. His ability to find seams and hold pucks for extra seconds are clear NHL-level skills. Perunovich has advanced as a prospect as his skating has gotten better and his point where I think he'll be able to handle the NHL level without a major issue. He's able to pull away from pressure when he needs to and walks the line with his skating. The four-way quickness isn't elite, and given he's five foot ten, some NHL scouts will question if he'll be able to defend in the show. He may need to be used carefully, but the puck game and power playability will translate. Um, that's a player that sounds a lot like your Tory Krug. Not that Tory Krug necessarily needs to be used super carefully, mm-hmm. uh, or your Kevin Shattenkirk type, uh, that really, really strong offensive defenseman. 
um, who can run your power play and create opportunities and, and score goals and, and assists for you. But isn't the guy you want, you know, defending the game if, if the cup is on the line? And that's fine. You need those guys. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure it's a tier two guy. And so that's why I'm kind of iffy. But we put him there because, I, you know, I think it he does stand head and shoulders above any of our other prospects in terms of readiness and uh, overall potential talent, overall accomplishment at the junior slash collegiate level so i'm not you know uncomfortable having him in mm. tier two but uh kind of any final thoughts on brunovich and the tier two situation? no i was just say i like that he was in college like in the ncaa for this because mm. i think that's a little bit more of a i don't know if the physical league but it's just it's not as a high scoring league as say like any of the chl uh leagues up in canada especially the qmjhl but I think if you play really well in college, it tends to translate to you being at least a solid player right out of the gate mm-hmm. in the NHL just because that game seems to be mirrored more in the NCAA uh, league, if you will. You know, it just seems like they play a more NHL-style game rather than the sort of, like, fast scoring all the time, no defense, you know, goalies or receives or whatever. It's like it just seems like more of a man's game in the NCAA. And that, too, I mean, the fact that technically you have players there that are... 21 22 or whatever that you're playing instead of like you know 16 17 year olds at any given time so i think it speaks well to say that if he looks good there in the ncaa that that's a really good watermark for how he'll look in the nhl too yeah and he's a guy that i don't see any almost any chance of him being a bust at the nhl yeah yeah making it you know i just it's kind of where is his ceiling and i don't even think his floor is all that low Mm -hmm. i think his floor is really really strong power play contributor Mm -hmm. that maybe you have to protect a little bit otherwise defensively Mm -hmm. but that's pretty good so yeah and and like Um, even speaking at like the lowest or like to the lowest outcome like that's something that a lot of teams need or want so mm -hmm. if somehow you find out Vince Dunn is the better version of you know Perunovic and you got Tori Krug here and yada yada you could trade a Scott or Perunovic for something pretty nice because that's something that teams want yeah, uh, the power play as much as people like to talk it down is part of the game, and you do score goals there, and they mean just as much as any other time goals get scored. So it's still still a very important uh, skill set to have. Yeah, yeah, and and Perunovic certainly has it in spades, and the Blues really like the high hockey IQ guys, mm-hmm. um, as we'll talk we'll talk about with several other guys on this list, um, and he fits that mold as well. That's it for tier two. You know, when we're talking about maybe he's not even a tier two, that's our only guy. Um, and, you know, that's a reality of where the Blues are this year. Uh, we'll talk about it, but neither of us think they drafted especially well this year either to kind of replenish the upper tier of, of this mm-hmm. um, pool. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's it for the top two tiers. We've got a... a third tier that has some promise and is very diverse it's it's four very different guys uh but even one of them i think we feel like we're being a little generous Mm -hmm. too so let's go ahead and jump jump right in uh the guy i'm most comfortable with being in tier three and the only guy i would maybe consider pushing into tier two i just think it's too soon to do that uh is joel hofer the goalie who is 20 years old uh he's expected to jump to the springfield thunderbirds this season um you know, it's it's difficult with Hofer not to overweight 
uh, his really jaw-dropping World Junior Championship mm-hmm. um, performance last year. He came in as a goalie, as the as the Canadians' third goalie, a, a pretty distant third, um, and uh, you know took took over the net in a drubbing by Russia. I think they were losing like six to nothing or eight to nothing at Russia. Um, stop, you know, kept that game, stopped the bleeding mm-hmm. in that game, and then just kept the net for the rest of the series, <laughs> played six games, went 5-0-0, you know, six of the six game being that uh, stop the bleeding game, had a 130 goals against average and a 946 save percentage with one shutout, and then went back to beat Russia, where Nikita Alexandrov was against him and may have scored a goal, but uh, I can't remember for sure. Um, but, you know, went back to beat Russia and get that revenge to win Canada uh, the gold medal in a year where, you know, uh, Lexi Lafreniere got hurt and missed a big chunk of the tournament. Um, he was he was the top player. I think he won player of the tournament, certainly won goalie of the tournament. Uh, and it's, it's hard not to overweight that. But really, since he joined the Portland Winterhawks, uh, famous um, alumni uh, Ty Ratty of the Portland oh. Winterhawks will just inspire much confidence in the hearts and Everyone minds of who comes from fans. Portland is just as disappointed yeah, as exactly. Ty Ratty. I've, they've never had a good prospect, Ever. I'm sure. Um, it's also always weird to me that like that's Portland, Portland. I always think it's like some Portland, Maine, or something, or some weird Edmonton or uh, Alberta, Portland. You know, but no, that's like Portland, Portland, Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, uh, since he joined the Portland Winterhawks midway through the 2018-19 season, he's looked like a much improved goalie. Uh, He finished uh, 18 games in that season with a 3.18. Uh, goals against average and a 9-11 save percentage. And then last year, he was a true number one starter, 48 goal- games, uh, 249, 9-15, 34-8-5, uh, in addition to the World Junior Championship run. And I feel like he might have had a good playoff. I'm going to look that up real quick. Um, he's got the size. He's six foot five. He's 172 yeah. pounds. That's probably, you know, he's probably put on weight since then. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's another thing he has going in his favor that, you know, I don't, I think people probably tend to overemphasize, uh, he was, uh, not in the playoffs last year. So I guess Portland didn't make it. Wow. Um, oh, there were no playoffs last year. Oh yeah. There you go. So, I was like, there's no way a 34, <laughs> eight and five. I mean, no, I know that's his record. He had a but... rough playoffs the year before, but obviously gotcha. there were no playoffs last year. So that was just my own brain farting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I think, I don't know. I'm just, I, I like seeing goalies perform in big moments. I was obviously way too high on Evan Fitzpatrick after he <laughs> won the World Memorial Cup, uh, so I could be wrong. But, you know, I'm not alone in this. This is somebody that uh, Craig Button has ranked really high that um, Joel, uh, Joel Hofer, he probably ranks He also says, he says, tier one. <laughs> Joel Hofer, tier Corey, one. Corey Promen ranks highly. Uh, Promen says, Hofer had a great season being a top goalie in the WHL and a leading reason for why Canada won gold at the World Juniors. He's grown as a player and a person since his draft in 2018, where he went in the fourth round. He measured in at six foot three in his draft season, but he's now closer to six foot five. While he's big, he's not incredibly quick in terms of his edges and push-offs. His hockey sense, though, is fantastic. Once again. Uh, Hofer rarely seems out of position and anticipates the play at a high level. 
He moves efficiently, uses a stick wall to block wings, and when he does get caught flat-footed, he reacts quickly enough to scramble and make the tough save. I do worry a bit when he gets to the NHL and pucks are zipping across the zone if he'll be quick enough, but I think his lateral ability is just good enough given his other attributes to be a quality NHL player. Um, I think this is the guy I look... You know, if you're trying to project a long-term Blues goalie of the future, I think this is the guy I look to as having the best shot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he'll make it. Doesn't mean he'll ever start a game in the NHL. It's Goalies are impossible. Impossible. Like, to yeah, you have Jordan as Bennington well. and, like, whatever, Tier 5. Yeah. You just never know. And justifiably. Yeah. The only argument you could have made was that he belonged in Tier 6 at the yeah. time. Um, but, uh, you know, as we'll, t- we'll even be able to contrast uh, Vadim Jarenko and Evan Fitzpatrick here in a bit um, when we get lower in the, in the uh, tier rankings and, and talk about uh, how their different draft capital and, and, you know, production in one year has made them very different players, even though they're at different stages in their career. But I am very bullish on Joel Hofer. How do you feel about Joel Hofer? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it makes you feel... Good to see, obviously, that World Junior performance. It also makes you not worried, but it makes you, you know, kind of think about it for a moment. Uh, Second-guess yourself, maybe, because of what happened with Evan Fitzpatrick and just mm-hmm. being amazing at the Memorial Cup and falling off a cliff, uh, <laughs> more or less, this past season. And so, like, I think that just illustrates exactly what you said. It's goalies you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And so right now, Joel Hofer is the one to ride that we're high on, and maybe... Next year, it's uh, it's our other oh, Russian like, guy. What's his name? Jurenko. Yeah, Zhirinko. And it's like, you just never... They're just... As long as... I think that makes sense for their drafting um, strategy. They've yeah. always been like, as long as you get a goalie, like, every year, just one goalie, then you can ride the sort of wave of, like, are any of these four people any good at any <laughs> given time? Well, then you're good enough for us. So, you know, I think that works really well. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, my temptation is always to roll my eyes a little bit at um, drafting it because we always do. It's just predictable. <laughs> we could have three picks. We'd find a way to use one on a goal. Yeah. You know? um, and sometimes like last year, I think we drafted two. Uh, we drafted Alessandra Jarenko. So even though we only have five picks, so, you know, my temptation is to kind of roll my eyes at that, but, it's so hard to hit with any goalie prospect. Mm. It's so hard to predict the one that will have the right physical attributes, mental attributes, and mental toughness to actually make it and be an NHL guy. You can have, you know, with that, without crapping on the guy, you can have all of the physical gifts and still have kind of the just mental shakiness that Jake Allen has displayed at times and just not be a... a everyday starter you know mm. he's a very good backup when the he's which is proof positive of how athletic and gifted he is and i'm sure he will do phenomenally well in montreal i'm not i'm really not trying to crap on the guy but that's the whole point like even if you get a guy with all of the tools and the gifts you mm. still have to get them into the nhl and see if they will perform consistently and even then you know you can look at jordan bennington and wonder well is he was he only good for the NHL for one season? Is this a problem? Wrote an article at the uh, Hockey Writers. Check out about uh, his situation entering a contract year. But um, yeah, yeah, but don't single out Jordan Bennington. You know, no, no. Of course every not. every you got to talk about all the goalies. Every goalie is a goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where you think of it like roulette or betting on something. Like 
you'll, you never know, but the more chances you give yourself, the better the odds are that you could possibly run away with, you know, with something big. And But then you also don't want to hemorrhage your entire pick strategy on, like, well, then we should just draft seven goalies, yeah. obviously. So it seems like get a few here and there, and then that means that you'll always have a shot at getting somebody that's useful by the time they're of age and you need yeah. them. Well, and it also feels like you're much more likely to get a palatable everyday NHL goalie in the fourth round than you are to get like a top six guy or a top four defenseman. Yeah, and... I don't know if I ever really liked the the drafting a goalie in the first round. Even when they're like, this guy's really good, I'm still like, yeah. yeah. But like, he's they like... They could be Rick TPH. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. But like, you've seen it happen. So you're kind of like, yeah, I guess they could be Marc-Andre Fleury. But again, that guy was also picked number one yeah. so it's like if you're gonna pick a goalie at like 16 i'm kind of like ah and even mark ah. andre Fleury, if you're comparing him to like a Connor mcdavid or a Sidney crosby not the same point, yeah exactly you know? i so. just man i i just don't know that i would ever do that it seems like yeah, yeah you're right it feels if, like a very set, low second round at the highest for me is like where i'm getting a goalie i get it i get it if you're a nashville and you feel like you really don't have Anybody? Super obvious yeah. needs and Askarov is there. Like, I get why they made that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of people were talking about New Jersey getting Askarov because mm-hmm. they need a long-term guy. And I'm like, but you need so much. Yeah, else. like you can't, yeah. And you have Mackenzie Blackwood who should be pretty good in goal, you know? And so, mm-hmm. and these teams that get the best goalie, Montreal, for example, can't seem to always just find success that way. Yeah, that's what I mean. You have them, but like it just seems like you need. Obviously, you need more around them. Tampa Bay almost screwed themselves over by getting to Vasilevsky's contract year before they'd won their cup. Except the money is non-object in Tampa Bay, and yeah, the salary cap is make believe, so they get around it. But uh, moving on to our next tier three prospect, Nikita Alexandrov, second round pick in twenty nineteen, first. Our first pick at 62nd mm-hmm. overall, but the second round pick, uh, having sacrificed uh, our first round pick for Ryan O'Reilly, I believe. Uh, Nikita Alexandrov, I think, will also be with the Springfield Thunderbirds this year, as he is now 20 uh, and should have graduated the QMJHL. Uh, looked phenomenal, as I kind of alluded to at uh, the World Juniors himself. Blues had two players there. They both represented themselves very well. Alexandrov, I think, has a, a really good shot and is a, another really smart player. He's he's not going to be a number one center. He might not even be a center. You know, he yeah, might be a guy that you move to the wing. The classic Blues um, move. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but he is a guy, I think, that could be a, re- a really good power play contributor. Um, with a really good shot and kind of, you know, high IQ, probably probably a safe two-way guy, too. Mm. Uh, you know, he wasn't a big point producer, and in the QMJHL, that's always a bit of a worry, as we talked about. 61 points in 64 games in 18-19. That's almost a point per game, and it's awful. Yes, our <laughs> Soccer Talk Lads podcast co-host, Justin Horniker's cat, Mm-hmm. could score 100 points in the QMJHL. Granted, he is named after a hockey legend, so Demetra does have a bit of a leg up over the <laughs> they other just, They just give him points right away. That's right. Um, but, you know, I, I still think it's it's a little bit concerning that he was, you know, not consistently, well, he was over a point per game in his last season, but not before that. But it's not something I'm, like, freaking out about. Mm-hmm. The Blues love... Russian centers 
that are already in the QMJHL. <laughs> Ivan Barbashev, Nikita Alexandrov. I know there's at least Dimitri one other. Dmitry Askin, yep, wasn't he I over? Think so, yep. yeah. Um, KHL scoring legend. Oh yeah, Dmitry Askin. Uh, MVP, KHL yeah. MVP, Dmitry Askin. Hot damn! Surprised he didn't come back this year. Right. Um, yeah, it's that pesky, pesky pandemic. That's right. Pesky. <laughs> <laughs> that oh that pesky <laughs> uh Andrew didn't put up big points totals in the QMJHL says Corey Promen but when I talk to scouts and coaches about him he's a player they appreciate a lot for how detailed and competitive he is he's not one who lacks skill and creativity though Alexandrov shows great touch with the puck and creates chances for his teammates very well with his vision and small area skills. He also has a good, very good shot and can score from range. He has the puck game to create from outside, but Alexandrov gets a lot of value from how well he plays between the dots and around the net front area, getting his nose dirty often. His foot speed is the main flaw in this game, and he will struggle to get past NHL defenders, so you hope his hustle makes up for that. And I think it will. I think... Uh, I, I like him a fair amount for mm-hmm. a late second round pick. You know, you're, I would put him well above Jake Neighbors right now, as we have done um, in terms of, you know, kind of where I expect them to make an impact. And I could see him comfortably being that kind of middle six guy with some power play upside, mm-hmm. kind of your, you know, a Zach Samford type. Yeah, I was going to say a Sammy Blay feels yeah. very appropriate here. French, well, he's actually French from the QMJHL. <laughs> another French guy from the QMJHL. Wow, who would have thought? You French? I am French. <laughs> uh, moving Spider-Man meme. deeper down, call the ambulance, but not for you <laughs> or not for me. Dang it, I screwed it up. It's ah, funny. fuck. Ah, botched. Nico Mikola. Uh, almost forgot to put him on here because he's he's in a bit of a weird position, and he's a bit of a hard player to pace because he has no offensive upside. But not I just think all. he's a really like solid NHL defenseman slash penalty for killer. the five games he played with us. Uh, he looked great. Yeah. He looks really good. This is a guy that at the uh, world cup for Finland really was a team leader, even though it's a, a, you know, a grown, grown ass man tournament and helped them win gold last summer. Um, I guess. Yeah. Two, well, the summer before the pandemic, the non pandemic summer, <laughs> um, you know, he's he got his call up last year, and I think a lot of people were kind of disappointed we didn't just stick with him, got his first assist. Uh, you know, Promen says Mikola played significant minutes in the AHL, and in a five game stint, looked like he could handle the NHL level. His profile as a 24 year old without a lot of scoring in the AHL doesn't typically scream NHL player, but I think the toolkit is good enough that he could be a tail end of the lineup type. When you are six foot four, skate well for that size, play hard, and can make good first pass, I think that's enough to project to play at the top level. Bikula breaks up a ton of plays with his reach and physical play, and is quick enough to stay with NHL forwards. He lacks point production and puck skills, but I see a player who has his head up with the puck and makes clever outlets consistently to where I could see him make a basic first pass at the top level. Um, this is kind of the inverse of what we were saying with Clem Costin earlier, where um, I don't think the top end potential is necessarily tier three caliber, but I think he's a guy that like if they wanted him to play 56 games this year, I wouldn't be like worried about mm-hmm. that. I'm not saying he'll like burn down the NHL or 
have some kind of Colton Pareko breakout rookie season, but I just think he is ready to go be an everyday NHL player now, even if it's a, a third line slash penalty kill guy. That's fine. You need those guys too, you know. Mm-hmm. So while you may look back and not not think, well, he's not a tier three player really. Um, I'm comfortable with him being there just because I think of all of the people on this list, including Perunovic, including Costin, uh, you know, including Jake Wallman and, and Mitch Reinke and Austin Pagansky, some other guys that have actually been in the NHL. He's the one, uh, maybe even more so than Billy Huso, who I feel like is could just be an NHL everyday player right now and, and be fine, you know, not mm-hmm. spectacular, but fine. So how do you feel about him? Yeah, as I was say, I we forgot about him because I just assumed he was going to be on the Blues. I mean, he will obviously be on the Thunderbirds if he's not playing with the Blues, but I foresee him playing, you know, quality minutes for the Blues. They have a lot on the left side right now. You've got your, you're done, I'm assuming, if we keep, but you've got your, uh, your and why did I always want, Krug's left, right? Yeah. Okay, I always want to put him right because I think him as the Petrangelo replacement. <laughs> you got Tori Krug, you've got Carl Gunnarsson, you've got um, Vince Dunn, you've got Marco Scandella, you've got all these people on the left, but I think you can still make room for Mikola. Obviously, there's also going to be injuries this year. There are going to be people that might come down with COVID and whatnot. So I think he's going to see some ice time, and I can foresee him being one of the guys that sticks around if we have to do a, a little bit of a trading purge to get some of that left side opened up because he is younger. He is super cost-controlled, and it's like, hey, man, can you make a first pass like they've said he can? Well, then you're good enough for us. I think he did a really good job, too, um, just defending overall when I remember watching him last season. He just he kept the gaps really close, which I noticed. And I think they talked about a lot as just one of the the skills he possessed or was really trying to work on was just being able to like get to the forward real quickly and stay there and stay on him because he's he's a big guy and he's got a long reach. So as long as they can uh, he can stay within their little perimeter there as they move, he's he's pretty good. He just reminded me more of like a Colton Preco on the left in terms of just size and being a presence. Um, yeah, I thought he looked really good when he played, so I can imagine him being on the Blues pretty quickly, pretty easily, and mm-hmm. I'd agree. Out of anyone on this team, I think he's the one that just steps in as like, this is a Blues player now, you know? <laughs> I mean, obviously he played five games, but I think it's just one of those things where he just needs the space and he needs the 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 minutes to be able to actually obviously play. It's just a matter of if they can create that space for him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I just think, you know, if there is a taxi squad this year, he's going to be like the captain of it. <laughs> you know, like You're driving the taxi, Nico. <laughs> He'll probably, I could see him getting 30, 40 games, literally mm-hmm. just because of injuries or outperforming guys like Bortuzzo and Gunnarsson, that sort of thing, like injuries. Injuries, COVID. baby. You just talked about Carl Gunnarsson, yeah, of course. Right. I repeat myself, exactly. Pick, Put your hand in the hat. Pick a <laughs> random injury. What could it be? <laughs> Uh, but the best dressed blues player in the league, uh, in the league on the team. Um, now we move on uh, to, I would say, hit the controversial button. The, the most divisive player on this list. Uh, wham, I've been wham, I've been wham. introducing a lot of these guys and then throwing to you. Are you good with that, or do you feel like oh, I'm you're fine. hogging your spot? Oh, you're okay. fine. You rip apart Clem Costa. Uh, yeah, our boy Clemmy Jim here. Um, I I won't state my position openly. I don't have a lot of faith. And I, people aren't going to like to hear this. I don't have a lot of faith. We actually bumped him up. Yeah, what happened? I think I 
I, you want to move him down? I think he's down. Corporate decision. All right. I think he's in tier four. Kicking off tier four. Uh, I still don't have a ton of faith. Man, he's a hard tier four, Quim, though. Quim, yeah. Uh, and Quim Costum being a, a top NHL contributor now. He has struggled to establish himself in the NHL level. He's struggling to establish himself in the KHL right now. Um as we speak, maybe. I don't know what time it is in Russia. Probably. He's probably practicing. It's late here, so it's early there. KHL is a garbage league. Um, I need to sneeze, but can't. Time in jo- Jeremy Rutherford. 8.26 a.m. He could be practicing, or at least drinking borscht. In, in Russia, borscht is full meal. Full meal. That's not just know. soup, you <laughs> idiots. I don't know if it's breakfast, but it is full meal. Oh, I'm sure it's, yeah, oh, it's borscht breakfast. all day, every day, 24-7. <laughs> borscht and hockey. Would you look up for me the uh, Jeremy Rutherford mailbag and his comments about Quim Costin? Because yeah. they were certainly not very complimentary. And we talked about it a little bit last week uh, in previewing this episode. Openly a little bit of skepticism that Costin's going to be an everyday NHL player. Uh, Corey Promen says Costin was an important player for San Antonio, being one of the team's top scorers. As an evaluation case, he's a difficult one. He's difficult because he looks like a big time player. He's six foot three, skates well, he can get inside and play a powerful style, and has skill. The skill and playmaking pops here or there, uh, but what makes him tough to get a handle on is that offense is inconsistent versus men. I would see shifts this past season where he's dangle a defenseman while skating at full speed or pull up and make a cute pass through a tough passing lane. But I'd also see shifts where he'd look like a basic... Oh, no. He'd look look basic with the puck or tunnel vision. I've seen enough good moments from him over the years to know he has offense in him and could see him become an NHL scorer. But if you told me he ended up a bottom six forward, I think that's a very reasonable outcome, too. Here's the thing. I think the fairest read on Quim Costin is that we forget that he's still 21 because he's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. We forget. We kind of forget that he had a uh, BS first AHL season because he was, you know, stuck on the fourth line um, and, uh, you know, ravaged on a team that wasn't controlled by the Blues. And the season before that, he mostly missed. He mostly missed the final pre-draft season of his development due to an injury. So with all of that said, I think he could be the guy that just takes a big leap forward and becomes the player that you thought he was at some point. Mm -hmm. But I think the time for him to do so is running a little thin, and my confidence that he will do so is certainly running thin. Uh, How do you feel about Costin, or how does Jeremy Rutherford feel about Quinn Costin if you found it? I've almost got it. All right, someone asked, Celias A. asked of Jeremy Rutherford, uh, I think it was like last week, will Clem Costin ever make the show? Please be honest because I'm getting impatient about this guy's development. First of all, um, I'm glad, Celias, you're this invested because even (laughs) us with a podcast that cats listen to, I it's, I'm not but I'm not impatient. Listen to religiously. Listen to religiously yes. and score at least a hundred points oh, in the QMJHL. Just one of the cat feelings. Only one listeners. of them. The rest of them get bent. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. We love all no, of our cat all, listeners. All Elon listeners are great, except that they're extraordinarily good at getting bent because they're so flexible. 
So you were just telling them to relax and enjoy themselves. hundred uh, percent. Um, Jeremy said, yes, of course there's still a chance for him to play in the NHL. Some people have written him off, but he's only 21 years old, like Stephen had mentioned. That he wrote that in there as well. That that said, I get like the Stephen uh, mentioned on the Deercast one. Look, podcast. he's a prophet. <laughs> He said, that said, I get the impression that the Blues are less optimistic about Costin's future than they have acknowledged publicly in the past year. He's currently on loan to the Continental Hockey League, and while I wouldn't put too much stock in the fact that he's not producing in Russia, I think it backs up what the Blues believe internally. I recently projected the Blues lineup for 2023-24 season, and I did not include Costin. I could be wrong, but I could see him getting a change of scenery at some point. I watched Bennington come out of the woodwork and win a Stanley Cup, so I would never say never, but Costin must start proving himself if he's going to play in St. Louis. I think that's fair. I think he's a guy that could still have it. Uh, change of scenery might not be the worst thing. It's one of those things where he has the it, he has I, the physical makeup, so you, yeah. everyone will always look at him and go, I don't know, you can't write him off. Look, he's 6'4", he's I know there are some real heavy. Clem Costin stands in this fan base. and that I, I don't hate these people. I really don't. But... I hear them say things like they expect Clem Costin to be better than Jordan Cairo, and that's nonsense. It's banana pants. It's goofy. It's ridiculous. All of the available mm-hmm. evidence now suggests that Jordan Cairo, at the very least, will be a, a very fine NHL player in your top six, or at least your middle six. Uh, I just think if you think he's better than him, then they'd be flipped. You know, it'd be, it'd yeah. be, I get Cairo's slightly older, but it's like, not much. Kyrou's in the NHL, has played 40-something games. There's playoff games, what have you. Yeah. And Costin's played one. Yeah. And that's not because they don't like you, or it's not because of a personal thing of not liking Clem Costin. He's just not as good. Yeah, and this uh, this whole idea that, you know, big body means better player is... <laughs> someone, so, someone out there literally says those words, there I'm sure, as they drop. Big, that. And big listen, body means better player. I believe crazy things too you know <laughs> but um the moon's made of craft mac and cheese and i would eat it so fast you, you ever, Carrie would eat it so fast when you make that stuff and there's like a little bit of like cheese dust that hasn't quite turned into oh, like yeah. mac or whatever that's mm. like the best and yeah. i can i can taste i'm eating like plastic yeah. but it tastes so good oh yeah it sure does it's concentrated it's all the goodness concentrated. i'm like oh that's cheese baby that's right uh, remind me to move Clem Costin on down there before we take that photo. But uh, slide on. I'm actually probably just going to move the line on up. A little, a little peek behind <laughs> yeah. the curtain there, folks. Um, the meat gets made. But uh, yeah, I just I ho- I obviously want Clem Costin to be a star. Never, never assume that if we're criticizing any of these people, it's. Uh, because of a personal animus towards them, except for you, Matthew Kessel. I know what you did. But, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm just, um, I don't see it all there with Clem, and I'm a little worried about it. Hope I'm wrong. Really hope I'm wrong. But let's move on to the rest of Tier 4 now that we have officially demoted him. Colton Ellis with the Charlottetown Islanders. And we will pick up a little bit here because, you know, players be playing and stuff. <laughs> but Colton Ellis, uh, good goalie, interesting goalie. Charlottetown Islanders, teammate of Nikita Alexandrov last season. Um, Ellis uh, had a 908 save percentage when, oh, this is this, this year, excuse me. Uh, he has a 908 save percentage this year. This is his first year with uh, 
the Charlottetown Islanders, so he's not been a teammate of Nikita Alexandrov. Uh, but a 233 goals against average, 908, one shutout, and is 9-0-0 so far this year. The QMJHL has started play. The WHL and CH and OHL still have not. Uh, but the QMJHL has no rules because it's an outlaw league. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Ellis had a has had a consistently low uh, to mid, you know, not... 910908904 save percentage which in a QMJHL super high scoring league is not half bad nor is his 247 241 233 goals against average granted two of those seasons he was playing on Ramuski alongside Alexi Lafreniere and now he's playing on Charlottetown who I assume judging by the 9 and 0 record are one of the better teams in the QMJHL um but he's got some promise. Uh, promise says Ellis's 9-10 save percentage in 2018-19 was fifth best among goaltenders that played more than 30 games in the queue. He was one of the pillars on Oceanic Ramuski, uh, along with Lafreniere, that helped them finish with 92 points in the standings. Ellis would raise his game in the playoffs, recording a 9-19 save percentage, which was third best in the QMJHL. So another guy, you know. Maybe he belongs closer to Joel Hofer. Uh, he doesn't have the size, I don't think. I think he's a, a considerably smaller guy. Uh, again, I don't think that uh, is as make or break as some people do. Um, but, you know, a promising young goalie is just 20, I think, right? Um, is playing another year in the queue this year. Has a new team and a new opportunity to prove himself. Um, 6'1", 187, so smaller. But, you know, I'm... I'm encouraged. I'm excited. And I think this is more of a just wait and see. Also, I like how uh, at the top of his hockey D or uh, elite prospects page, it says Colton Ellis. His name is spelled C-O-L-T-E-N. And then at the, underneath it says A.K.A. Colton Ellis with an O. And it's just like, no, not A.K.A. That's just the wrong spelling of his name. That's a different name. I would be offended if it said Steven Ground, a.k.a. S-T-E-V-E-N Ground. It's like, no, no, those people are wrong. I'm still who I am. But uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, Colton? Or Colt 92? When did did we draft him? Last year? The year before Uh, last. One of our two last year. Okay. The first third round pick into the third round. No, not really. I think obviously having close to like a nine ten or having a nine ten two years ago, having close to a nine ten save percentage overall, um, in his career there in the QMJHL, like you said, is pretty good. Uh, goalies again, you just roll the dice. Hopefully, he is he is one of our surprises down the line. Yeah, yeah. You never know. It's just uh, you just got to kind of wait and see. And. Uh... I like him. You know, I think we've got a couple, as we'll talk about again in a minute here, I think we've got a couple of promising young goalies. So not bad to have multiples of those. Jake Neighbors, we always rate our first-year players with a grain of salt because we haven't had that much time to look at them or know much about them. Um, And obviously they have just been drafted. But Jake Neighbors, our first-round pick, number 26 overall this year, sadly we think belongs in a, as a Tier 4 selection right now. Uh, a power forward type. Mm-hmm. Got a big, not not overly tall, but carries a lot of uh, weight on his frame at 5'11 and over 200 pounds. Uh, plays for the Edmonton Oil Kings in the WHL, where he did put up 70 points in 64 games last year. I mean, he's, he's hardly a scrub. It's not like he was a... 
you know, an incredible shock as a first-round pick. I think some people projected him, you know, more early second, but it's not like he's uh, a nobody or anything. Uh, Promman says, Neighbors is a solid 200-foot winger who likes to play with a bit of an edge. He already has a sturdy frame at 5'11 and over 200 pounds, which allows him to engage physically and win battles with a high rate of efficiency. He has no problem going through a defender rather than around, but he has good enough hands to make a move in space. His skating is good, but he does lack high-end top of speed. Uh, his first step quickness is the difference maker with neighbors as the young Oil Kings winger consistently beats players from a standstill position and then has a good enough top speed to stay ahead in the race. His shot is above average because of his deceptive release. The puck jumps off his stick, elevating it from tight with ease. Uh, neighbors' vision and playmaking lack creativity at times, but he makes passes look effortless in the offensive zone. As a player who plays on both special teams, he should be able to find a role on just about any team fairly quickly. I think, you know, I think I've warmed a little bit to Neighbors now. You know, we were pretty critical post-draft, and I, there were some players around him that I, I kind of wanted at that time. One of the things I think the Blues don't do, which you can criticize or not criticize, is I don't think they weight skating very heavily in their draft, and never really have. I mean, obviously, yeah. they have some great skaters. Jordan Cairo's elite skater, one of the most elite in the league. Um, it just so happens they had a home run with like one of the best to make up for all of the times that we've drafted a guy who pretty much has like crappy edge work or yeah. like that always yeah. seems to be the downside like starting with Tyratty and from then on pretty much anyone that hasn't been a tier two for us you know Kairou mm-hmm. or or Thomas but even Thomas they've talked about being him. like he's he's fine at yeah, skating. Yeah I think he's gotten better yeah but um yeah, that's at least that's something I will give them credit for. That is something you can teach and improve upon, um, versus say like a hockey IQ thing, which is something that you might just be you know more attuned to as an individual. That is a little bit harder to teach, you know. So I I can understand that, but it is kind of annoying sometimes because it does feel like we read a lot of the same um, same blurbs where it's like, hey, they're really great about this, this, and this. Not a great, not the best skater, mm-hmm. but blah blah blah. But like. It's something you can teach, something you can improve upon. So I can see why they do it. Yeah. um, And I think, as we've talked about at times, you know, if you're drafting solely on skating, that's obviously a mistake. Because skating Mm. is the one thing that you can do well and then just still not be a a good hockey player. Uh, Um, Neil Yakupov. Although his skating wasn't good either. His skating wasn't good. He was fast. fast. Oh, that's right. How that guy became first overall pick, though. That's a With story. With that bee stings. <laughs> God, it was just the choppiest. He was so fast. But I'm like, how can you be so fast and so inefficient at skating? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I think I think Neighbors is going to be your power forward type. And, you know, you can make the argument that maybe he develops into more of a David Backus, TJ Oshie type. And then that's probably a tier three at, at least, if not a tier two. Uh, TJ Oshie, I would say, pretty comfortably a tier two. Mm. Um but I just am not there yet. Hmm. And I think Blues have had a tendency of finding guys that improve in the year after their draft. And so I'm not giving up on Jake Neighbors by any means. But I'm kind of comfortable with him being a Tier 4 and letting him prove it to me if he's going to be better than that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's all I've got to say about him. You have more on Jake Neighbors? No, I mean, drafting first overall I think is or first for us for the blues this year was um probably what soured me on him the most just because mm-hmm. it seemed like well this seems like a fine player and that's who we went with first overall i mean or for our first pick i know it was later 
in the first round, but again, it was like, I was hoping, what, when did we draft Thomas, 18 or 20? 20, was it, where was Thomas at? He was like 20. early 20s, or he was 20. He's not on that one, but I think it was Yeah, exactly. so like, I get we were like, whatever this was with Neighbors, 26, but I was kind of hoping like maybe we would get something like that, especially in a, what was supposed to be a very deep draft. But if I take away where he was drafted at and yada yada, I'm just looking as a player, I think he looks fine. I think he'll be a fine power forward. Whether or not that's something that will be of greater use as this game changes uh, in you know a couple of years is up for debate. But again, he could he could improve. And just being five foot eleven and a stockier guy, there's still there's still room for that. So long as you're not like you know a thin guy that's getting knocked off the puck, and it sounds like. Sounds like even though his skating isn't necessarily great, he's still got a first a good first step and everything, which for whatever reason in my mind always sticks out. It's like, hey, if you can get going quickly in a sport where you do kind of have a standstill every once in a while, depending on if you get set up in the zone, I do like seeing seeing that as far as like a fun aspect of a player. Mm-hmm. Adds yeah. fun to the game, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm always hot on uh, rookies and prospects and such, but I uh, just want to see a little more from him. Tyler Tucker has shown us a lot over the last two years, drafted in the seventh round, uh, 200 overall in 2018. Uh, we had him as a tier three last year. Maybe that was a little high. Maybe tier four is a little low, but I'm comfortable with him being here now. Yeah, he's um, kind of averaged out. Yeah, he had a, a phenomenal breakout season with the Barry Colts. In 2018-19, uh, 59 points in 68 games. Nobody thought this guy was a scorer. Actually had a better point-per-game total in the um, 2019-20 season between the Barry Colts and the Flint Firebirds before um, you know the season ended, the pandemic ended the season. Uh, had close to 200 penalty minutes along with all those points, which you can say is a good or bad thing. Probably lacks a little discipline. Um but obviously, when you draft a player in the 200th round and he suddenly becomes a, a point-per-game OHL 200th round, 200th overall, a point-per-game OHL defenseman, that's a, a, a great move in the right direction. Uh, Tucker was one of the top defensemen in the OHL, says Promen, showing great two-way instincts, hard physical play, and a good shot. His skating will need to improve for the NHL level. <laughs> Drink. Uh, after spending the season between the very Colts and the Flint Firewoods, Tucker capped off a successful campaign in the OHL, scoring 56 points, 55 games, 20 of 21 of which came on the power play. His point total ranked him eighth among defensemen in the league, while his 87 penalty minutes ranked him second. This earned this 66 foot one defenseman a two-way entry-level contract in March giving him a chance to take his game to the professional level next year. And he's a guy that I think will be in Springfield predominantly, but I could see him potentially making a low low um, line, you know, bottom six or bottom mm-hmm. pairing NHL debut this season if, you know, you get hit with a couple of cases. Is or he something. a lefty? He's a lefty. He's a lefty. Yeah. Do we have, we have like, Ranky? And uh, Noah Beck, I think, is a, is a righty as well. Well, well, well. Um, <laughs> Good yeah. job. But Leo Loof, I uh, believe, is a lefty. You may want to check me on that since we're coming mm-hmm. up to him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tyler Tucker, who knows? It's hard to uh, kind of hard to get a read on a guy that just explodes that much. But I really like that he went to a new team and still did it. You know, it wasn't just a system thing or something that happened in Barry that made him... Uh, be able to kind of accomplish that he went and, and was still a point per game player at Flint uh, and we'll see I think he could be a you know it's we've got a really crowded left side right now which is 
all right because you can trade defensemen always in the NHL, but um, I'd like to see him develop into a player. And Tyler Tucker is a fun name. I think he's a physical, gritty guy. I know Bill Armstrong was really high on him at the draft for a seventh-round pick. So. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Um, I'll almost those Bill Armstrong interviews, after, interviews the, yeah. after the draft. Get us somebody with personality again, Dougie. Uh, any thoughts on Tyler Tucker here? Yeah, it's just interesting because I remember, that's what I primi- primarily remember was that he was a face McPunchy man, uh, it seemed like. And they're like, oh, this dude's tough as nails. And, you know, you're going to really like this guy. I was like, okay, we got ourselves just really tough, like, possibly like seventh defenseman in the seventh round or whatever. And then on to all of a sudden see these points um, was kind of crazy. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that this dude scored at all or was even looked at to score. So it's an it's an interesting combination to see how many penalty minutes he has and how much he scores too. Uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued by him. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, I think that's a good word for it because he's kind of developed out of nowhere. You don't expect it. Uh, but, you know, the Blues have found some guys late in the draft, especially as defensemen who have made an impact. And Mitch Runke's a guy that was a college unsigned free agent that they got, you know, as a, as a free agent, as you would do with a free agent. <laughs> free agent. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, well, what, actually, let's talk about Mitch Runke since he's right here next on the list. 24 years old, uh, has been good in the NHL level, uh, had a really rough season last year. 22 points in 46 games, down from 45 and 76, which I believe broke Keith Yandel's San Antonio Rampage franchise record, uh, which I guess is his record now forever since those dirty, rotten <laughs> bastards closed the um, Rampage forever. But, um, uh, but long live the Silver Knights. Long live, yes, something like that. Uh, but yeah, Reinke... Uh, you know, could say took a step back last year, obviously played a game in his first, you know, right after he was signed, played his first NHL game. So he could be a, a character in a future Ken Reed book at this rate. <laughs> but uh, do you think Reinke has what it takes to turn it around? Or are you worried about him now? I just, I don't know. It feels like we need right-handed defensemen and we're more willing to just shove lefties over there, which works is fine. Like it's not, the end of the world mm-hmm. but it seems like as far as right-handeds go he's like the next in line to be on the blues but as far as like just best defensemen go uh it just feels like there's an awful huge clog of people ahead of him and it he's 24 which makes him older but he also only just got out of college like two years ago or whatever so that's that's just the way it works when yeah. you go and do all four years of playing at college or whatever so or at least two years. Um, so I, just, I guess I just don't know. It feels like he's older, and it, to me it feels like he's probably like trade bait of like, hey, do you need an AHL defenseman <laughs> who plays righty? And like, yeah, here you go. And that's not to say he's bad. It's just to say that he's he's not necessarily any better than your Mikola's or um, obviously your Prunovich's and stuff like that. And it's just I feel like it's going to be hard for him to crack that lineup, especially when we're playing paying service to Bortuzzo's and Gunnarsson's and stuff, and you're just not going to... I just don't see this team being like, Mitch Ranky, you, you play ahead of those guys. It's mm-hmm. like, just doesn't feel like it. And I think he belongs in this tier because I think he's he's a, a fine player, but I just don't think as far as, like, do we think he's going to crack the lineup and be here? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I don't know how else you'd put it. 
Um, <laughs> How what did that even mean? Um, Hugh McGing is a player that, uh, you know, I pat myself on the back here a little bit, uh, thought he had something the first time I saw him in uh, Traverse City. Obviously has a lot of size issues to overcome at four foot eight. Uh, what is he really? He's like 5'7 <laughs> five, or 5'5 five, five or something. Yeah, yeah. Real tiny. Um, but a player that uh, Prominent put it like, I think, sixth, right? In our uh, yeah. franchise ranking, which <laughs> is a bit of an indictment on our on our organization, uh, but also a bit of a praise for Hugh McGing, who I think is a, a, a really promising young college player who's ready to make the jump to the AHL. Um, and, uh, you know, had a, had a really strong freshman uh, senior season. He's charitably listed as 5'9", which I doubt. 5'9 mm-hmm. um, in skates. Yeah, there we go. Um, McGing had an excellent senior season, being one of the top players in his conference and named a first-team All-American. He's a player I was skeptical about when he was younger, but has continued to grow on me. He's not a very flashy player, but he does a lot well. McGing has a lot of speed and energy to his game. He pressures defenders with his skating. He's hard on pucks, backtracks with effort, and wins battles despite his size. The offense he's uh, the offense has been part of his game I've questioned over the year. As a senior, I saw his playmaking take the next step to go along with his speed and his great shot. It's possible it was a mirage as a fourth-year college player, but I saw enough skill and IQ consistency in his game uh, to play in the NHL. And that's a guy uh, I like a lot. I think he's gritty. He's he's young and, and small and fast, and he's mm. the kind of player that Blues fans would love to cheer for and, and praise and, you know, wish the best for. So Yeah, not that this player will necessarily... Not that Huma Ging will be around when, like, Ivan Barbashev is around or anything, but I feel like that's, like, a fourth line sort of thing where, like, you could get two guys that bang bodies and put Huma Ging on there, and he's just, like, the dude that's in on the forecheck mm-hmm. nonstop to pressure guys for your fourth or third line and things like that. Like he speaks to me as a, a role player. Um, yeah. and I think you could, you could fill that role. Cause you don't like, again, if you're a smaller guy, you probably need to be able to skate well. And thankfully we can say for this prospect that he actually can skate yeah. well. Um, so I, I honestly, I'm not one of those people. I really am not when it comes to like size where it's like, unless you're like literally like five foot five in the, you know, NHL, unless you're Nathan Gerby, the one and only Nathan Gerby. Um, <laughs> you had to dig that deep for a guy that... Yeah, it's like, I just don't think size size matters, but if you're a good enough player, you can be in this team, or you can be in this league. Um, and I guess you could say, well, is, is he going to be good enough? I don't know, but it seems like all, all uh, signs point to probably. Again, I think he's going to be your Mackenzie McEachern where in two years or year and a half there's an injury or we've traded enough people and they give Huma Ging a shot just on like fourth line, third line filling. And then, you know, he'll run with it or he won't. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Cause it feels like we've definitely, uh, we've liked some of his tweets or his family's tweets. They've liked some of ours. We're part of the Huma Ging family. We are, uh, we are unabashedly a pro Huma Ging podcast here at two guys, mm-hmm. one cup. And I'm not going to let anything change that quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is what it is. That's the rules over here. And you're just going to have to learn to live with it. Um, or don't, or, you know, we're a regional yeah. hockey podcast. You could just not listen. Yeah, don't but do that, though. Don't, don't do that, though. Don't. We need, we really need to pad those numbers. I gotta tell you, if you've listened to these other, uh, these other Prospect Pyramid episodes from the past, I gotta say, with confidence, for the first time ever, I think we have 
gotten better. Yeah, yeah. I think we are doing a better job overall uh, with getting these people right. So, wow, fulfilling promises right and left. There eh? we go, baby. Wish fulfillment. That's what we're all about. <laughs> Eric Foley. Uh, uh, I don't know if he's speaking of the very opposite of And the fucking 180. I don't know if he's ever going to play hockey again. I liked a lot about what I saw about his game, but he's now missed two seasons yeah. uh, with a concussion, and nobody thinks he's back currently. Um, you know, you hope that there's some David Perron miracle, and he gets it together and can play and has a good career still, but, you know, it's also one of those things where it's like, what's safe? and um, Yeah, it's at this point, just I want you to have a good life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, in any case... Uh, yeah, I mean, we just wanted to mention him so as he's not forgotten. Uh, but, you know, it's it's kind of a sad story. So let's yeah. move on to Matthias Laferriere, uh, who's kind of a sad story in that he's wasting his talent. <laughs> no, he's one of these guys we've talked about every year as being kind of like really high skill, can't seem to put it all together, mm-hmm. seemed to have gotten a little bit better the last two years, point per game, over a point per game each year. Uh Promen says he's a good for, a forward with good size, very good offensive IQ, and can score from a distance. Not that quick and could be a little better <laughs> off the puck. Drink. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> but he has intriguing tools for the NHL. His game adds some pace. I like how the game is a, a non-personified entity, or is a personified entity. If the game gets better, then mm-hmm. he will get better along with it. <laughs> he follows the game. Yeah. Is the team shitty? So is he. He does play for the Blainesville, the Blainville Brabrian Armada. So you know, uh, Brabrian. Bra, bra, eh, I'm surprised they say Blainville. You, I was just like Blanc, 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 Screw you, France. Um, <laughs> new home this season. Interesting to see how he does. Not a guy that I necessarily rank very highly, but uh, you know, I hope he pans out. Keon Washkarak. We. Uh, Almost forgot to include here, but not through any fault of his, um, just a fault of the elite prospect system. This is a guy, I will say this about Kian Washkarak, and I say it a lot. Uh, if he <laughs> makes it to the NHL, he will be an absolute fan favorite. He is gritty. He is blue collar. He's one, I think, hardest working player in the OHL back-to-back seasons, or at least in his division mm. of the OHL. Uh, Mississauga Steelhead's alternate captain last year, 52 points in 49 games, 47 and 66 before that, so his offensive game is improving. Uh, blue collar guy, as I said, that you just would love to root for if he makes it to the NHL. Promen's a little skeptical. Player with a lot of skill and a lot of energy in his game who skates well as his offense dynamic enough for a small player it's 50 50 but i think he's talented enough to be in the conversation um again don't know if he's gonna make it could pan out to be more of a nolan stevens tanner caspic type where he doesn't quite have enough to push into the nhl uh but if he gets here players fans will love him i i'm pretty confident of that thoughts on keon he is a ginger so i figure you won't like him for that (sighs) yeah that's true um no, I think he. I think he has the chance to be in the NHL just from a. Again, he's a great. He's a good skater, so you know, don't drink. Um, from a skating perspective and just an energy perspective, again, it's one of those things where can he put everything else together? Like, does he have the offense? He's dynamic offensively, but he's not necessarily like the highest scorer. Uh-huh. Um, 
so it'd just be interesting to see how that how that game translates. Is he a good playmaker? I I want to see what role he fills, even on his like current teams moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair, and see if he you know if he's more of a leader. I tend to overvalue like if you get a C at a lower level. I, I know, same here. I don't know why. NHL player, which yeah. you know, some of the guys that we're going to talk about in a minute, that is not true of. Um, but, you know, I just, I like his game and I want it to develop, and I'm just not sure it will. Uh, Dylan Peterson, our draft pick, don't know a lot about him, but we'll read up uh, Promen's write up on him. Peterson possesses one of the most intriguing raw tool sets of any player in the draft class. He never truly reached the heights he was expected to do with the U.S. National Team Development Program team, uh, but wasn't always put in the best position to do so either. Often being asked to play the driver in the middle six, Peterson was often playing with less skilled linemates on the team that was far from an offensive juggernaut. His strong skating is possibly his best trait. Don't drink! As he is able to get up ice quickly and stay mobile in the offensive zone, he creates plays well with his skating and puck skills, putting his teammates in a good position to score. The young American has a heavy shot, but doesn't use it nearly as much as uh, you'd expect with how effective it is. He often opts to make the extra pass that has Tage Thompson written all over it. <laughs> he often opts to make the better pass and will need to be a bit more selfish with the puck if he has the hope of being a real offensive threat at the next level. He's heading to Boston University next season, a perfect spot for a raw but talented uh, player to develop. He will be a bit of a project to whichever team drafts him, but will have to understand that he will need a few years at BU. Playing against bigger, stronger players at the NCAA level will be a nice step up from the NTDP squad and the USHL competition. Look for him to establish himself in the BU Middle Six as early as next season. I love that he's at BU. I think that's a, a hockey factory, and that's mm-hmm. a great place for him to play. Um, you know, and he's a uh, third-round pick, late third, right, I believe. Um, middle, yeah, late middle third. So too early to tell for sure. Guy you have to kind of wait on, but maybe he develops into something. Mm -hmm. But I like our draft a little more after tonight than I did originally. There are still parts of it I question severely, mostly the second half. (laughs) Leo Loof has a great name. He's a tough defenseman who brings a noticeable physical presence on the ice. Defensively, very solid and reliable. Offensively, however, he is not a point producer. Projects to be a reliable bottom pairing defenseman in the future. Uh, Our biggest disappointment here is that we did not draft his brother as well, who I think is like Linus Loof, maybe. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, you do what you can. What are you doing? Playing Luf with family. What are you doing? Fjordstad BK in Sweden this year. Any thoughts on Leo Luf Ian? Great name. Uh, right-handed, left-handed, of course. I right? think left-handed. Yeah, yeah. Let me look him up just to confirm. I had a question because I was looking around. What happened to? And maybe we just missed him. What happened to David Noel? Uh, didn't he? Did he leave? I think Did he straight up leave? Left. I believe you because he wasn't even he's not even on our one last year. I don't David think. Noel. Huh? He left with his muffin shot. Yeah, something happened with that dude. I believe you. I'm looking it up. I'm looking, we got we got look it up. We got the people demand to know what happened to Someone our. Someone was gonna boy. know. Um, oh, did we? I think we just didn't sign him. I think we didn't qualify. You said bye, baby. He, yeah, he's playing U Sports for the University of Quebec Trois Rivières right now. So yeah, I think we just didn't. Wow. Well, I think the shot. I think it was the muffin shot. That was the muffin shot for sure, baby. Um, what a muffin it was. Uh, 
looking up trying to figure that out um, but in any case uh, yeah I think that's what happened I think we just didn't ultimately claim his rights whatever the case he's gone now I'm pretty sure <laughs> don't worry you don't have to worry about him he's gone now yeah that's right okay um, uh, where were we Leo Luf Billy yeah. Huso is going to be our everyday backup this year uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited because it's time for the rubber to either meet the road or the tires to fall off. Uh, Man, remember when he was going to be like he was the starter prospect? And he still could be that, but it's just funny that Jordan Bennington jumped ahead of him. Now Jordan Bennington is the starter, and it's like, hey, I got here first. I beat you, buddy. I'll be, I'm very interested. He's played zero NHL games. He started zero. I think he played like some minutes, but he didn't start at all. I remember him playing in relief and getting scored on. Um, and he's, you know, he had a really good first year in San Antonio, like 9-2-2 save percentage, four shutouts, 15-14-5. Not the, like, not the best in terms of like how the team was doing, but his, he was doing pretty well. Um, and then he had some, some rougher seasons, I think some injury problems too. Uh, in 1819 like a 0.871 save percentage 3.67 goals against like that's uh that's rough and then last year he kind of averaged out to like a 910 you know so mm-hmm. what is he i don't know we don't know we don't know and now he's our backup and we'll talk about him this year for certain if there's any player on this on this pyramid that we will talk about for certain this season it'll be <laughs> Billy Huso, uh, for better or worse. I'm fine with him being the backup. I it really doesn't. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh my god, you guys, no experience. What are we gonna do? I'm like, well, it's a 56 game season. I'm sure we'll have some like crazy back to backs because it's all condensed. But like, also you can ride Bennington if you want. Maybe that's what he wants too for a greater paycheck when he carries our ass somewhere. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. I don't hate him. I don't hate him as our backup. We have him on tier four because honestly, I think that makes sense. I think. Well, I, didn't we say that's an, like a tier two tandem guy? Yeah, like makes I, it makes sense to shove him right in the middle of this tier because it's just like, well, you don't know. Yeah. Maybe by the end of the season he'll look great, and maybe by the end of the season he'll never touch NHL ice <laughs> again. Uh, you just don't know, and it, it'll be interesting because he is like. It's that weird age. It's that uh, age that the goalies come up. Like, seriously. Like, we could have um, Joel Hofer up here in the next, like, I don't know, two, three years? Yeah. But he's 20. So, no, he'll be up here in five or six yeah, years. Because it's just how, uh, no matter what, no matter what they tell you, goalies always come of age at age 25. Carter Hart that's when they're here. will be younger than rookie, like, outstanding rookie goalies for a couple more seasons. Yeah, like that dude's young. It's so rare for a dude to come up at 20 or 21, whatever he did. Uh, yeah, Huso, I mean, we're going to talk about him a lot more and, and now that the season is so close, hooray, uh, we'll mm-hmm. have a lot of like season preview stuff to talk about, and we'll probably dive right into some of that next week. Um, but he is a guy that has a lot to play for this year, as, mm-hmm. I, as I talked about in that article over at the Hockers. Um He's a... He was supposed to be the goalie of the future. You just mentioned it. And mm-hmm. now Bennington's on a contract year. Huso, I think, has one more year. No? Yes. I think, I think he, he does has one, have more. one more year deal. But 
you know, he's he's a guy whose future is secure here, but he has a chance this year to say, hey, uh, you forgot about me, but I'm, actually I'm better than Bennington. Uh, Bennington looked shaky in the bubble. No hiding that. I don't think that's a cause for long-term concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even all last year, he didn't look like the same fantastic um you know, person goalie that he was in his uh, come up season. So I just think Huso's in a position where he, you know, it's a phrase I feel like we've used a lot lately. The range of outcomes is very broad. <laughs> I genuinely think he could play his way into being the presumed number one after next season. At the same time, um, I could totally see him, us bringing in a Craig Anderson or a Jimmy Howard or somebody into camp to give him the old Brian uh, Elliott run for his money and him losing the job to that person (laughs) and that person just being the backup, you know? Because you're going to feel more comfortable entering a compressed 56-game season. I don't really want either Craig Anderson or Jimmy Howard, but I certainly see the argument for at least you know for sure that these guys aren't just going to be a total flop bust who are like way out of their depth i don't think that's true of hughes though either i'm mm-hmm. just saying i get the argument if there is a taxi squad or an expanded roster or something you want to carry three goalies then fine you've got all three and you can mess around and see what hughes has but um whatever the case this is this is kind of the make or break year for him you know if he can't if he loses the job then he's running, you know, he's basically out of time to prove. If he loses a job to Craig Anderson or Jimmy Howard or someone of that ilk this year, then he's not going to be a long-term number one goalie in the NHL, you know. Um, And on the other hand, he's got a really good chance, maybe a chance that he wouldn't have seen under under better global circumstances. Uh, As some of a lot of these guys in these lower tiers, I think, will, if there really is a taxi squad or something, uh, to prove that he does have something to offer and, and that he can be a part of this team, and we're just going to have to see. So, yeah, like you said, I think he's going to be the guy on this pyramid that we for sure talk the most about this year uh, because he's probably going to be in front of our eyeballs a lot. Mm. And that'll be fun because we've been waiting for it for a long time. He's got an incredible pedigree in Finland. He was one of the top young goalies and won an award that, you know, like Mika Kiprasov and like Pekka Rinne and, and other great Finnish goalies have won before him. So uh, there's a lot of reason for optimism with him, um, but we just don't really know yet. And I think that's kind of where we are. We got to watch. Vadim Jarenko is a goalie we took in the late seventh round last year, 208 overall, uh, who showed me a lot and is showing me a lot. And, you know, not that I've I've seen his games a ton firsthand, but some clips and, and just watching his statistics. Uh, I personally am starting to like this kid. You got to love Russian goalies. He's only 19, playing at Dynamo Krasnogorsk. Uh, in the VHL, which is, I believe, the Tier 2, kind of the AHL of the KHL. <laughs> the AHL of the KHL. You know what that means. Oh, yeah. Um, Promen says Jurenko had a strong start, uh, a strong season versus junior age players and men in Russia's second tier league. He has good size and takes up a lot of net. He reads the game very well and moves efficiently. His lateral quickness is just fine. Uh, but last year with Dynamo Tver, uh, he had in the VHL. He had 16 games, a 2.28 goals against average, and a 9.15 save percentage. Uh, MHK Dynamo Moskva or Moscow. He had a, a in the MHL, which is their junior league, 21 games, a 162 goals against average, and a 9.36 save percentage, uh, with five shutouts. 
Uh, he also, I believe, had a playoff run last year that w- he had like a one, um, like a one goals against average and like a nine fifty save percentage and didn't get a single win because his team was just so outmatched. <laughs> but um, really great playoff numbers. And then so far this year with Dynamo Krasnogorsk, uh, sixteen games again, two twenty seven GAA and a nine thirty two save percentage. So it's just numbers on a page. I don't get to analyze him a lot, but those are certainly impressive numbers. And if you're going to take a chance on a goalie developing from some country, take a chance on a Russian goalie. You mm-hmm. know, he didn't make the World Junior uh, roster for Russia, so they don't view him as one of their top three under 20 goalies. But that's not saying a lot when Yaroslav Askarov is one of those goalies. You know, to not mm-hmm. be on his tier uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bust. I don't know. Could be a guy we never hear from again. Very possibly. I would say more more likely than not, he's a guy that never makes the jump to the AHL, let alone the NHL. Uh, but I like what I have seen so far as a as a late seventh round pick, and that was enough for me to, you know, bump him into the fifth tier here and at the top of it. Yeah, like we said, it's always a crapshoot with goalies, but I think with what he's shown us, it seems like he's a nice bet to be someone that could like you said, other than maybe the Russian factor and everything of actually coming over and being in the AHL. I, I'm I, much like Tyler Tucker. I'm intrigued by him probably more by the fact that he was a super late round pick. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, Oh, there is something to you yeah. where, where there's like, you know, third rounders, fourth rounders we've talked about on here or, or are going to talk about that. There's not much to, mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, you can kind of flip these guys around a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, also, um, uh, yeah, I just, I I don't know, goalies are weird. <laughs> that's, the, that's the theme we keep coming back to. you got to be weird if you want to sit in front of a puck flying at you 90 miles that's an hour. That's right. I would rather have three weird but promising goalies mm-hmm. um, with re- uh, really good numbers than, you know, kind of just be out in the cold and not have any goalies that could kind of step into that role long term. Alexei Torpchenko, it makes me sad, um, I'm, but I've got serious doubts about yeah. his long-term uh, viability in the AHL level. Just nine points in 59 games last year at the AHL. This is a guy that's going to need to score uh, to make the difference, and he has not been a you know That was always the knock against him in the OHL was that he wasn't a top scorer, uh, and that certainly has continued in the uh, OHL. AHL level. He does have six goals in 21 games with Kunlun Red Star in the KHL this year um, on loan. Uh, as Pronman points out, has the aesthetics of a player. He's six foot three, skate, and has good hands, but it's hard to get past the nine point season in the AHL, and I think his decision making can be suspect. What's your temperature, tech, temperature check on um, Torpchenko right now? Yeah, I think it's. To me, he feels like a lesser Clem Costin, where it's like, yeah, he has the size and he has the skill. And I think every time we read anything positive about him, it was always like, man, he skates fast in a straight line and right at the net and, you know, no nonsense player. But it's like, the that works when the defensemen are younger and not as well trained and are possibly scared of you and your size and, you know, as you skate at them. But now you've got guys that are older bigger are in a system they know they basically know how to stop we skate at the goalie <laughs> as an offensive strategy yeah and that kind of just maybe has an answer to that mm-hmm. but thus far 
it doesn't look like it. And to me, that is one of those things where it's like, yeah, he certainly looks like a hockey player. Certainly looks like he'd be in the NHL at some point. But when you watch him actually play, it just doesn't translate as well. It makes me sad. I had, I didn't have crazy high hopes, but I had hopes that he'd make this team. I remember when we drafted him thinking, oh, a Tarasenko and a Toropchenko and all these <laughs> things. This would be fun. But it just, it seems... I don't know. That nine-point season just kind of like, bleh. I don't know why. <laughs> I think that's like, yeah. you know, that's when the car dies or whatever. It yeah. backfires and it's like, oh, no more. Uh, we made a statement last year by putting Torpchenko above Costin, uh, and we were wrong. We were clearly <laughs> wrong. Costin, for whatever our doubts are, certainly has, uh, you know, separated himself from Torpchenko at the AHL level. Um I hope it turns around. Torbchenko is a player I really like. I think he's a nice guy. I've, I've, you know, had some people. I think Sarah on Twitter has, has, you know, met him a few times and, and meet and greets or talk to him off the ice at, you know, training camp, and he's a good guy. But uh, not everybody can make the NHL, and I'm starting to doubt that he will be uh, in the, or I'm starting to think he will be in the not everybody camp. Um <laughs> Tanner Dickinson was drafted this year from the Sioux Greyhounds, 40 points in 64 games last year. Uh, the two, the, that's the wrong chart. The 119th pick, uh, speedy center with good playmaking, don't drink, uh, and an ability to generate chances off the rush. He projects to be a bottom six forward, uh, and that's where we've placed him. Don't know a lot more about Tanner Dickinson. Any thoughts on him? I will, I will say this. I will never, just from this point forward, I will never be able to distinguish Dylan Peterson and Tanner Dickinson for at least 18 months. I will have no no idea which is which, oh, who God. was drafted higher, which team they play on. Those are completely indistinguishable names to me. You might as well be named Chuck Charles and Charles Chuck, as far as I'm concerned. And that's as much as I have to think about for uh, Tanner Dickinson. Speedy Center, that's good. I like hearing that. That's good enough for me. That's what I would draft on. Speedy Center, you're drafted. Yeah. Yep. At 119. Yeah. Yeah. Will Cranley is a goalie. Uh, OHL, Ottawa 67s. Uh, a tall athletic goaltender who has the raw tools to turn into an NHL goalie if developed properly through the system. Spent last season as a backup goaltender for the Ottawa 67. Uh, where he posted 18 wins, a 281 goals against average, and an 894 save percentage in 21 games. Uh, what uh, is your read on Will Cranley? I love the Ottawa 67s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those look like those look like all right numbers. And again, he's only 18. That's like this is. I feel like because we draft him this year too. This is like the most down the line and just crazy. I don't know. You're an 18 year old goalie. <laughs> It might as well be space dust to me. <laughs> um, but again, got to got to get your goalies. Um, yeah, it's it's he's, he looks average right now, and that's fine for an eighteen year old. Yeah, you um, don't have to impress anyone but yourself. Both of the last two goalies we talked about last year have risen up the rankings and impressed us, as did Hofer from two years ago. So Cranley can join their ranks. Matthew Kessel is the player that I 
I don't have any problem actually with Matthew Kessel, but I have already given up on him. Uh, UMass Amherst prospect, a big defenseman who competes hard, has some puck moving skill, and has a big point shot. His mobility needs work. Drink! And the <laughs> offense in this game isn't overly significant. I just felt like this. My, my problem with this guy specifically and this draft overall was that it was so clear we needed a right-handed defenseman. And granted, uh, I believe the Avalanche took a really good right-handed defenseman immediately before our pick and I think it was even hinted at by Doug Armstrong and and kind of you know wrapping up everything that that pick happened and they had to change their game plan a little bit so you that's how drafts work I get it they didn't trade up to get the guy for sure it is what it is but for your counter to that to be to wait until uh, 150 and take Matthew Kessel, uh, who is, you know, I don't think is ever going to be anything in the NHL as your right-handed defenseman, when it is so clear that that is our organization and our depth chart's biggest need uh, by far. It's just, uh, it baffled me a little bit. And so I have a little bit of begrudging anger towards Matthew Kessel, even though it's not his fault and he is the only player that meets the need that we clearly have. And I should root for him as a result. I kind of hate him for what he is, you know? It's kind of like the abusive relationship where you're like, you're causing, I'm causing all this really, but it's your fault, you know? That sort of thing. So any uh, any redemptive thoughts on Matthew Kessel other than that he has a great hockey last name and no relation to uh, uh, Amanda or her lesser brother, Phil? <laughs> no, you took it. That was, it. that was the only redeeming quality about this kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, who knows? Uh, the forget about them tier, the tier six, the guys that you don't expect to be NHL contributors or, uh, you know, at least have any serious capacity. Um, Evan Fitzpatrick, man, I was so high on him. He won a Memorial Cup in 2018, a QMJHL, uh, you know, championship in 2018 with the Sherbrooke, or excuse me, the Acadie Bathurst Teton, uh, 17-3-1 in 21 games after being traded there from Sherbrooke. Uh, 224-915 led them in the Memorial Cup glory. And I had the highest heights for this kid. And it has been a one-way road ever since. And that one-way road has been straight into the mouth of Mordor. And he has not simply walked there. He has stumbled, tripped, fallen, skated, slid, uh, damaged himself profusely in the process. Um he has had a uh, lower than eight nine hundred uh, save percentage at his last three stops uh, with the Tulsa Oilers in 2018-19 and 2019-20, as well as with the Brampton Beast. Five games with the Beast last year, an 838 save percentage and a 473 goals against average, a 339 and 891 with Tulsa that year, just thir- 12 total games in the EHCHL. Uh, in 2019-20, which shows how much uh, people believed in him and wanted him to be playing games for them. I just don't think there's anything there. I think his goose is cooked. He's only 22, of course. We've talked about goalies plenty and how weird they are. Maybe he just wakes up and remembers how he won a Memorial Cup uh, this upcoming season, but I'm certainly not holding my breath. Any thoughts on uh, another ginger, Evan Fitzpatrick? Right out. Um, (laughs) I think, not that this makes any sense at all, but if all of our goalies are going to be on the rise a little bit, I guess one of them had to fall, and yeah. he had to make up for all the little rises <laughs> by making a ginormous yeah, fall. That's right. Um, yeah, it's too bad, but this is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, 
That is what it is, exactly. Dakota Joshua, uh, age 24, traded here last year by the Toronto Maple Leafs for a late pick or something. Mm -hmm. Something of little consequence, maybe just future considerations, I don't know. Uh, Springfield Thunderbirds will be his destination this year. One assumes 11 goals, 11 points in 20 games at the ECHL last year, 7 points in 30 games in the uh, AHL Um you know, former Clark Cup USHL champion, former NCAA regular season champion, which I saw as kind of an oof in his elite, elite prospect profile through no fault of his own. That's just when you get that specific, it's like a Nashville Predators banner, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean much. Um, you know, he's 24, he's a college guy, it's time for him to show something, and I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to. Uh, a downgrade from where was he last year, a tier five, I want to say. Uh, yeah, tier five. Yep. Any thoughts on him? Nope. No. Moving on. Noah back drafted this him. year will be playing at Clarkson University. Is six three, one hundred ninety three pounds. Also a right handed defenseman. Oh. Great work. Good stuff. Um, it, wait, does that mean Matthew Kessel isn't? Did I wrongly profile Matthew Kessel? I think I did because I don't think we drafted two. That would have been, uh, you know, out of this world. If we draft two right-handed defensemen, here we go. Waiting for it. Waiting for it. Nope. Both right-handed defensemen. Wow. Wow. They really got. They got their. They got the They've pulse of the blues. They figured it out, baby. They have figured it out. Um. But Noah Beck is uh, a right-handed defenseman, and that's really all I can say about him. Not because I. He played have for the Fargo feelings. Force. That's, that's a dope. Cool name. The that's ECHL dope. have great names: the Brampton Beasts, the Fargo Force, the Tulsa Oilers. Um, mm. It's too soon to much know much, but much like uh, the opposite of Panic at the Disco, I don't have high, high hopes um, because you know, late uh, 194th pick. Uh, right-handed defenseman, not a lot of offensive upside. We'll see. They were going to add that lyric line, but it didn't fit. Yeah, it didn't it's fit. A, it doesn't fit very well. The opposite of Panic at the Disco. Nolan Stevens, a former U18 WJC gold medalist, he was doing that like seven or eight years ago. Uh, in some NCAA Hockey East Championships and stuff on his resume, he was a captain at Northeastern University, son of John Stevens. Mm-hmm. Former coach of LA. Yeah. And other things. Um, <laughs> could arguably be a tier five. Maybe this is a little low for him, but he's 24. He's 31 points in, in 50 games last year. I think he could still maybe be like a bottom six forward. Mm-hmm. But I'm just. I feel like I was I, optimistic last year, and this year I'm a little more like, eh. You I know? feel like I heard good things about him, say, like in whatever, 2018. And then what ended up happening was. Uh, I read more and more about what people were saying or seeing during like training camps and stuff, and it just seemed like it was very meh. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he feels kind of meh. Tanner Kaspik, uh, also meh, 22, uh, had a good uh, you know career with the Brandon Wheat Kings, ended up as their captain before being traded to the Victoria Royals. Um, Tanner Kaspik, I used to get mixed up with Mackenzie McEachern. Yeah. Caspic uh, feels I thought like they were he's the same person for a million years. Right? Uh, has only had um, I, how bad am I at math? Twenty-two points in a hundred and five AHL games. Um, not good, <laughs> uh, and I just don't think he's gonna you know develop into an NHL player at any point. Could be wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Always the disclaimer here. 
Jeremy Michelle, former Mr. Irrelevant, taken at uh, 217th overall after we won our Stanley Cup, uh, has played for the Valdor Forers for uh, four seasons now, is in his fourth season there. He had the distinct honor, as Pronman said, of being the last player selected at the 2019 NHL Entry Draft. He's a hard worker who is unafraid of taking a beating in the front of the net. He goes to the dirty areas and works hard. I don't see a ton of skill or offensive upside to his game, uh, but he brings some tools that translate to higher levels of play. It's a bit of a long shot, but he could eventually work his way into an NHL role. Good start this season. Almost a point per game um, after two identical 42-point seasons. Maybe a low tier five, but I think probably a tier six still until he proves something this mm-hmm. year. Um, I that Mister Relevant thing is is always kind of interesting to me because you know you obviously you were the last person taken in the draft, but there's also a way of looking at it where you were the first person taken of all the remaining players. <laughs> that could possibly be taken, you know? The Blues looked at, ev- like, every draft-eligible player in the world other than the first 216 and thought, you're the one we need. It's you, Jeremy. So, you know, if you want to... Maybe he's a positive guy, and that's how he looks at it. Austin Pagansky, uh, if if thighs alone could get you into the NHL, this guy would be a superstar. He's got freaking tree trunks. Um as you've seen in uh, AHL San Antonio Rampage uh, Twitter content, uh, <laughs> rip San Antonio, but um, 30 points in 56 games with San Antonio last year made his NHL debut. He could still be a fourth line guy, uh, bottom six guy. I'm just not confident it's going to pan out. Any thoughts on Pagansky? I also got him mixed up with Mackenzie McEachern. Everyone is Mackenzie McEachern. <laughs> or they're the other there's, one. There's a podcast title for you. Everyone is Mackenzie McEachern. Mackenzie McEachern, who is in Tier 6 in uh, yeah, 2018. Yeah, made a mistake. So I'm saying and you can move up. Yeah, you can, you can always move, move all up. the way up to Tier 5. Where <laughs> Mackenzie McEachern <laughs> rightfully you can, go as, you can go as high as you want. Uh, yeah, all the way up one tier. Um, <laughs> I hope that's as high as you want. I hope so too. Jake Wallman, uh, 27 points in 57 games last year, 24 years old. Uh, I just think it's like kind of crap or get off the pot with this guy. Like, do something. Didn't they just sign him to a two year yeah, contract? I guess. So they have see something in him, but it's just one of those other left handed guys we've got. Remember when we were talking, I say this every time we talk about Jake Wallman. Remember this season where we were like, wow, Jake Wallman, uh, that dude is going to make it. And then Vince, Vince Dunn said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. Oh, hello. Um,. Yeah, it's, uh, I hope that he becomes something, but I just don't, uh, I don't see it honestly happening. Um, so that's the prospect pyramid. Unless we forgot anybody, which God only knows it's possible. Um, but that's the prospect pyramid for 2020. And I think it's a, there's a lot of, a lot of maybes, but very few sure things on this prospect pyramid. Uh, you know, you've seen guys like Cairo and Thomas graduate. Cairo, you know, is one of those guys that has played literally exactly 49 games, uh, if you count his playoff games in the NHL. And I think we've talked about the cutoff being 50, but it was over two seasons, and he's very much, you know, expected to be an everyday NHL player this year. So he's the kind of guy that you could have 
if you'd wanted to be really charitable, put him in tier two and made it look a little better this year. Robert Thomas is obviously still very young. Vince Dunn is still very young. Um, you know, Blay and Sanford are still pretty young. It's not like they're just out of, you know, that they're mm-hmm. just an old, decrepit team. But if they want to build up their um, youth a little bit, it's time to start doing that. I've talked before about how I could see them trading at Jaden Schwartz if they have struggle this year or something, and or even a Jordan Bennington for chance if he uh, isn't strong this year. But, uh, you know, I don't think that any of those things are likely. But, you know, we've talked about plenty how this is a new Blues franchise without Alex Petrangelo, mm-hmm. and you have to look at it as such, and that includes the prospects. So how do you feel, last words, last thoughts on our overall prospect pyramid and what we're looking at in the years to come? Um, you know, I'm not as down on it as I thought I was going to be. Yeah. I felt a lot more down on it coming into this episode and before we really put it on the you know, marker to whiteboard. Um <laughs> I think there's a lot of like, I don't know what you'd call it, just like bottom six quality that we have mm-hmm. in terms of forwards. We seem to have a lot of defensemen that are probably like going to fill out sort of like your, I guess if you're going to split them in you know, like a bottom three role versus uh-huh. like a top three role sort of thing. Um, but, and that's fine. That's good. I still just think we need to somehow acquire a little more top talent because mm-hmm. we have it. We have Cairo, we have Thomas, we have Dunn, like you talked about, these young guys. But we'll talk about in like season previews, especially like Thomas and, and Dunn. Um, they're here and they're young, but they're not they're not necessarily brand new anymore, which is fine and great, and they can be here for a long time. But you are starting to see guys that are going to be aging out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and then you'll have holes that you need to fill, which you can fill with trades or free agency or what have you. But maybe it's just the fun, new, shiny toy thing in me where it's like, I'd like to have a, a tier two prospect. Mm-hmm. I would like, and sometimes it comes with just being shitty and, and drafting <laughs> higher. And so I don't necessarily want that. Senators have plenty of tier yeah, two Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Baby, baby. This thing is top heavy if you're one of those bottom I would have teams. so much trouble with a team like that just figuring out how to proportion uh, the triangle, you yeah. know, because I would say the way it's the... upside down, baby. Yeah. Illuminati. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I think there's a lot of promise with what we have right now. I just would like to see a little, a little more at the top end. And that just comes from just better drafting slash. If you need to, if you need to sell pieces, sell those pieces for high picks, high, you know, high draft players, um, just really good prospects. Mm-hmm. And that can be, that can be done pretty quickly. So I get, I think we're in, a, I think we're in a fine position. I yeah. thought we were in a bad position. I think we're in a fine position. Yeah. And look, it's a, it's a team, you know, it's a prospect pyramid that would look a lot better with Dominic Bach, mm-hmm. uh, who you traded away and it would look probably better with a, a healthy Eric Foley, which is something that you can't control. And that is really unfortunate. So, who knows? Jake Neighbors, you know, maybe becomes, maybe he takes a big step forward this year. And we look at him as like a tier two or three prospect comfortably. And, you know, maybe Hofer continues on this trajectory and looks like a real number one in the future. So, I like I said, I think there are a lot of maybes here. It's just that maybes aren't tier two and three guys, you know, necessarily. So, mm-hmm. um, 
And listen, as you know, it, it goes without saying, but we wouldn't trade a loaded prospect pyramid for having won the cup in 2019, yeah, yeah. you know? So uh, that's uh, the overall franchise is still in a healthy place. Uh, there are a lot of question marks this season, but um, you know, it's, I'd rather be where we are and have won a cup than, uh, you know, have a lot of promise and, you know, still be on uh, year, what would it be? 55? 55 of, oh uh, god uh, i will not 55 will not be the outro i swear to god i'm not even not even as a joke i won't do it but uh, i'll never do it you can't make me <laughs> colton Barreco where's number 55 um but uh but yeah i mean that's that's where we are and you know the players i like i really like uh hofer a lot which probably means he's doomed uh, <laughs> alexandrov's the guy i think i'm higher on uh than some people tucker is interesting mm. Um, even farther down, you know, I like Jurenko a lot. And, um, Mikola is off this pyramid next year, yeah, for more sure. or less. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, that is uh, that is what it is. It's another year. Uh, you know, we've got uh, hockey now. It's coming around the corner. I'm finally, we're going to, I'm excited, man. We're going to get to talk about games again. We're going to, like, establish a schedule and know what we're talking oh, about God. and not text each other five times a day at work and be like what the, what are we even talking about this week? what it feels so weird because yes hockey came back but uh-huh. we were only in it for a little bit oh, and so, it was so brief. and it was like playoffs it was so it wasn't even the season yeah. i'm like when was the last time we played season games and it's like um like oh, almost a year ago i hope they're brutal out of the gate <laughs> for the sake of this podcast i hope they're terrible nothing to talk about like yeah it looks like they're scoring at a pretty good pace and uh that's uh, that. <laughs> it was so, if, if we were gonna single out our one biggest flaw as a podcast there's so many but the, the gap between when we're going well and when we're going bad in terms of length of podcast, content of podcast, you could get a three three wins, three queen wins, have a 45-minute podcast, or you can get one brutal loss and go two hours. <laughs> That's it's interesting. If if anything, if you're gonna win, I need I need some controversy where it's like, well, they want to pull Thomas off the first line now because it's been going so well that they just don't want to over, you know, they don't yeah. want to put too much strain on him. So I'm, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I don't think there's ever been any question that we are the bad boys in the St. Louis oh, podcast yeah. oh. community. Uh, and I will take oh, that yeah. to our Did you day. finish your White Claw? Oh, yeah. It was delicious. <laughs> oh, you pounded it, baby. Oh, like yeah. a bad boy. Shotgun that White Claw Ruby grapefruit, I'll tell you. And with that, it is 1235 on a work night, on a school night. We've got to go to school tomorrow. Oh, Ian. boy. Uh, this is a dream. I knew it. That's true. Uh, and, uh, you know, holidays are around the corner. I don't know when Hanukkah starts, but if it's soon, happy If I used to live where I used to live, I could tell you. Yeah, you can tell me at the temple. In the synagogue. Uh, I want to say it starts soon. So Hanukkah starts on Thursday, December 10th. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, man, nailed it. Oh yeah, we are big. What do you get your bubby? The, yeah, we are big in the Hanukkah celebrants community. I'm getting my bubby. Uh, <laughs> a, man, when you say it, I felt when you say bubby, it makes it. I lived a Jewish in, life yeah. in New York oh, City. Sure. I just lived it by saying yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. You. 
Like, I feel like I'm a different person. <laughs> you are. A fake. All you have to do is, is refer to someone as your bubby three times, and it's like Beetlejuice. You just become, you become an Orthodox Jewish yeah. person. So uh, our podcast, collectively, you and I said it three times. So we're now the Orthodox Jewish <laughs> bad boys of the St. Louis Blues podcasting community. Uh, we've got more white. I will eat non-kosher food. I will do it. Happy Hanukkah. Enjoy your eight crazy nights. We'll talk about eight crazy prospects. <laughs> See you soon. Good night. Mazel tov.